All right, what is up, everybody? We are back with episode 13 of The Fighting Pit. Uh, you may notice we are down a host here today. And... Lucky number 13. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, it's it's so fitting, but both uh, Wizard Beast and our special guest are actually pretty under the weather today. So we decided, you know what, we still want to do the show anyway. We're just going to be doing things a little bit differently. It's just me and Mulhu today. But we're doing it live. Um, <laughs> insert the the do it live meme here. But uh, you know we're trying this out. Uh, a few people were asking if this is something we could do, and you know seemed like a, a fun thing. So we're gonna have uh, chat questions and all that stuff periodically throughout the show and all that kind of stuff. And then we might do some one v one games later, showing off some new comps, testing some new stuff, all that kind of. Fun stuff, but uh, how are you doing today, Malhu? I'm doing great. I am. I mean, we're obviously we're gonna get into it, right? But this is a very unprecedented time. It's a very new, very exciting time. I mean, they have stacked the excitement on us one after another after another. I am overwhelmed with how many cool things there are to do right now, mm -hmm. and we're in line for a banger in five to seven days. We might just get a gigantic comet announcement on top of it. So things are good. Things are good. Good times to be a mercenaries player right now. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's really exciting. And I know we actually had a surprising amount of people I heard from that came back for the Chi event and have been having a lot of fun with stuff since then. And so that's really great to see. You know, uh it's almost ironic, right? Because they said it was gonna be a uh <laughs> yeah. it was gonna be for the a, established, yeah, established player event. But literally like I think more than half the people I've like talked to about the event who like uh weren't like already, you know, dedicated players that we knew. Uh, we're like, yeah, you know, I played a little bit at launch and then I stopped for a while and then the event made me want to come back. So that's that's really cool. And uh, we know they have another one in the works that is pretty far along. And so, you know, looking forward to seeing that. Hopefully that one's a little bit more uh, new player friendly, right? Or future ones are a bit more new player friendly and whatnot. But I know we all really enjoyed it and it was fun having a reason to go back and do some of these really you know, underused uh, PVE stuff. Like, I forgot the Mad Bomber fight even existed, right? Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm not even sure I did it. I think I found a way to skip it. Yeah, that one was like, that was such an early bounty that, you know, you did it on launch, and uh, it it just, uh, I totally forgot it even existed. So it was cool seeing, like, weird new ways to uh, tackle those challenges. But uh, in terms of news for this week, we have new bounties, and that is that's pretty exciting you know we've known about the new bounties coming for a little while now chiji's last item was locked behind kazakis so now he can be kind of fully utilized fully maxed and it's it's made an impact right like uh oh, yeah. i was i was a little underwhelmed when we first saw chiji cuz just the numbers are so relatively small compared to a lot of other units but seeing what he can do with this new item has completely flipped the script and my opinion has been changed chiji is a great unit and definitely so, overperforms my expectations i'm gonna hit us with a hot take right off the bat i think for, well pre preamble i do think the chiji event was sick i think that giving us the delayed access to the quote-unquote best equipment right was actually a cool idea because it just forced the community to go all right we have these two tools Another one's coming. Let's is is what we have here good enough? Is any of this cool? We saw some some beast Chigi stuff. 
Um, but it was okay, but people tried it. And then later there was another incentive to come back, get the new good equipment, mm -hmm. the blazing band or whatever that gives you the bonus heal power, makes your little, your first ability, you're like very, very good. Oh yeah. My, my hot take is I think people are getting a little bit baited by Chi right now. I think, cause so we have to kind of mention it, right? Supposedly, we still don't know if we, this is a great format to be able to explain this Chi problem because there's theoretically maybe or maybe not a bug on Chi-Gi's Firestorm, that it's double oh, counting yeah. the damage from the heal power. That could be partially related to Chi-Gi's current success. I don't know. I don't know if that's working as intended. We honestly just have no idea, but this is something that we have started to encounter. We'll see. But um, I'm honestly, I think this is a little bit of a, everyone wants to just try the new thing syndrome. Mm -hmm. I think there are a lot of bad Chi-Gi decks that are just working because they're good Chi-Gi decks without Chi-Gi. And we're kind of getting some weird skewed information, but that's totally okay. That means that everyone is just having a blast, trying crazy yeah. stuff, figuring out some of them will seep to the top, some of them will seep to the bottom. And like I said, and we're going to, again, talk about it later, I've never had my deck list full on Mercenaries. I've never mm -hmm. had all my deck slots full until yesterday. This is the first time since launch that I have too many decks to play. So if that's the price that we have to pay for GG, I'm down. Yeah. No, that's that's definitely a good point. Definitely worth mentioning that uh, unconfirmed bug, because that definitely could be leading to a bit more success with that extra damage. I know uh, I was talking to both Wizard Beast and Sign of Times this week, and they both have had some crazy runs with GG. Like yeah. I think I think Signs was like eight and one today or something. Yeah, the other day he went like over. I think it was like twenty five and three. Like unbelievable. Like yeah, <laughs> it's just. Um, it's really cool, and I love, like, the design on Chi-Gi is just so interesting. We haven't really gotten a way to scale up healing before in the uh, the same way. Uh, because, like, if you think about it, even with, like, one of the old premier healing units, Anduin, Velen, right? That would scale up your damage, but it didn't scale up the healing at all. So maybe there could be something there, too. Um, but, you know, we'll have to wait and see. Uh just to answer a little question here in case anybody missed it at the start, uh, Wizard Beast is unfortunately out sick this week, so it is no, just no, no. going to be a duo show for this one uh, since it was a little last minute, but that is A-OK. -okay. We're going to have a lot of fun with it. Um, so, you know, getting into it here, we're close to the next big announcement, right? Like we got the uh, the classic announcement of the announcement recently where yeah. we have the date what's it is it like the 15th i think that we're getting March the expansion 15th. March 15th we're getting we're hearing what the hearthstone expansion is don't yes. know if that's going to be what has the mercenaries expansion information tied into it again the precedent so far is that regular hearthstone patch notes have then been bundled with our mercenaries news so you have to imagine that the 15th is when we're going to get whatever the biggest possible announcement of 2022 thus far is definitely yeah um I think they also mentioned uh, within a few days after that, we're getting like the core set stuff. And I imagine that'll be tied into, you know, the new Hearthstone year. Uh, worth mentioning that there was no BlizzCon or BlizzCon online this year. So that has kind of traditionally in the past, we've gotten these announcements of the, you know, the new Hearthstone expansion and the new year at these big Blizzard events. But uh, this year they decided to call it off. Um, I, I can't really remember why. I think it's just because a lot of the, the stuff in development is, you know, in the works right now, and they don't really want to show it off before 
it is ready, like, you know, some of their other big games with uh, Diablo, Overwatch, all that kind of stuff. I think, you know, 2023 is probably going to be a big year for that kind of stuff, but they felt, you know, taking a year off was the right thing to do, so we're getting the Hearthstone reveals, you know, same time. It's not really that different, but we are going to be getting them in a few days here, so I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about that next week. Um, very curious. Uh, do you have any guesses on what we think the the next expansion is going to be kind of themed around uh, i have a so we've talked about this before which is pretty cool there's a lot of interesting things floating around and i actually would jump to the warcraft the wow expansion for some more insight so i've a lot of us have played wow from from forever ago mm-hmm. um we actually you and i actually have a very interesting also opposite dichotomy of how our wow experience went but we'll talk about that later on our wow podcast the <laughs> wow expansion is coming um, the new trailer for that kind of deals with the direction going towards the makers and some Naru stuff, some Dre and I stuff. And I literally wouldn't have even noticed that that was a part of the mercenary storyline at all until we finished the recent storyline and like the very last word or in maybe the very last sentence of the storyline text that is given to us, they mentioned the Naru shard is something that Kazakis and Prestor have been messing around with. And so... It seems that that's getting tied into mercenaries as well. Wow, seems like they're also going in that direction. And when we look at standard, the last year was kind of very much so we are going to replicate the level 1 to 60 wow experience, right? We're going to go from Stormwind or to the Barrens to Stormwind to start doing some raids and then Anixia, and then it's over. What followed classic wow, but the Burning Crusade. So long story short, my angle is that what is coming up is either a Naru, Dre, and I Burning Crusade styled, fell, demon styled story. Um, maybe WoW is like a tier above it, kind of they're in like the second loop of it where they're going through like the Naru GG bosses and we have to go do the Burning Crusade baby town stuff first. I don't know, but I think it's, I think it tracks. I think if we look, if we kind of peel back, that might make sense. And there's a lot of cool stuff in that set. The Burning Crusade was a beloved expansion. So uh, I'm down. Yeah. Um, I mean, you're our resident WoW expert here. I, I mentioned in the past, I really have like, no experience of uh with world of warcraft really you know i've tried it a little bit once i have a bunch of buddies who played it so like i know stuff through them and when i first got into hearthstone i did a bunch of reading up on the lore and stuff because i thought all the yeah. characters were cool and all that stuff i wanted to know more about like ragnaros and sylvanas and all them and yeah, you love that like you you consume so much more of that than i know so like in terms of lore and stuff like it, it still enraptured you in a different way which is yeah. cool and this is very much so a story driven like they're spinning all these games together now at this point. Yeah, right. And it's it's kind of funny to me. Um, I, I think I saw someone else mention this before, but I don't know if you remember this, but Hearthstone's, you know, official title, whatever used to be Hearthstone, Heroes of Warcraft. And then, I don't know, like two, three, four years ago, I don't remember how long ago it was, they actually dropped the Heroes of Warcraft from Hearthstone and were trying to kind of just make it more of its own brand. And now it feels like they're kind of doing the opposite because like where we got the information about this, you know, next Hearthstone reveal stuff, it was all tied in with World of Warcraft stuff. And, you know, from a business point, it kind of makes sense because I think Hearthstone and WoW are kind of Blizzard's biggest, like consistent moneymakers at this point, like in terms of regularly scheduled content, like Diablo has been kind of, you know, not much stuff there outside of the, the remaster last year. Uh, Overwatch, you know, the, everyone's been waiting for Overwatch 2 and all that stuff. 
so just got they, announced. Yeah. Uh, like it literally got announced today or whatever. Yeah, like they're doing a closed beta, I think, next month or something like that. So that's cool if Overwatch is your thing. But I think WoW and Hearthstone have been kind of carrying Blizzard pretty hard in terms of bringing in that consistent revenue. Um, so kind of makes sense that they're they're tying them together here. And I think they are really the only two Blizzard games that have things to announce we got a little teaser about they're doing some kind of warcraft mobile game so that could be kind of interesting yeah Who we knows? don't know anything about that i my my heart i mean my hearthstone roots are in mobile gaming for sure and just started playing a ton of unite as well so uh, this yeah this could be this, this could be a sweet game i have no idea what it is right i don't we know less than we knew about mercenaries and mercenaries took us by surprise so oh yeah sweet. yeah it's it's really interesting i i always think back to um it's interesting the perspectives on mercenaries right like a lot of people were really hyped up for it and then we got that not so great reveal and you know launch was also a little bit bumpy but the the funny thing that i always like to you know remind people or tell people about was i was someone who was in the boat of i was really excited for mercenaries that launch reveal really didn't showcase like stuff that i found exciting and it was more confusing than not to me and it really like put me off of the mode initially. And so I didn't even do any of the pre-orders, right? Like I didn't yeah, do any of that maybe. kind of stuff and I didn't buy into the hype. But then when it came out, I don't remember who it was. I was watching someone early on, like in the first few days uh, doing PVP. And I was like, this looks sick. This looks like so much fun. Like I did, you know, my little PVE stuff. I was like, okay, this is cool. But I beat it in afternoon, right? Like there, yeah. there wasn't that much uh, PVE content. And we did hear in the Benley interview that, you know, people kind of devoured all that PvE content a lot faster than they were initially expecting. So PvP kind of became our end game of the thing to do in the mode. And I'm so glad it did because... Uh, <laughs> yeah, th thankfully. It truly yeah. rose to the top because it was the... Tr like, the, it feels like the system with the most, in, like, tightly connected, interwoven, like, kind of internal strength. Everything else that had its weird little bugs and stuff kind of became just grass on the side and this one pvp struck just skyrocketed to what is carrying this game for sure easily right like um pretty much the majority of content creators outside maybe old guardian with his super super duper clutch uh pve stuff are all focused on like pvp at this point right and you know i've done both some pve and pvp content and it is very clear to me that pvp is what people want to see a lot of the time like uh it's just analytic insight Another thing, uh, why I think that is the case is it's like we have, uh, you, there's a lot of time investment, right? In terms of actually getting your characters yeah. leveled up and ready for PVP. I know, you know, all about that mall who as being free to play. Like you're seeing the, the true, like limit of what it takes if you don't want to put any money into the game. Uh, which is great. Like, I'm really yeah. glad we have that kind of perspective because I've talked to a bunch of different people and there are a lot of people in that same boat. Like, there are a lot of people who are just like, you know, I either don't spend money in Hearthstone or I'm already spending too much money in Hearthstone on, like, Constructed or other formats. And so I want Mercs to be a totally PV or uh, F2P experience. And so I, I think it's great that we have, like, the, the difference of perspective there. Because I definitely wailed out a bit on launch. Um, definitely pulled back from that, though, now that the... Uh, once, we, once we discovered, though, we had yeah. to go deep enough into the mine to discover that <laughs> there's some explosives when when you try to keep going. They just 
Yeah. You have to stop. You have to stop digging deep uh, at a certain point when it comes to packs and, and literally just spending money with this game, which maybe we'll talk about it briefly. Again, I know that that is something that chat and the world is ultimately interested in because, <laughs> like you said, we just jumped on this game right away. And in that pioneering, we ran into all those walls and all the weird little things before anybody else did. And PAX was one of them. The people are begging Blizzard for us to let them to, to let us spend money on the game. And there's essentially a barrier. That's yeah. weird. It's weird. It's it's really strange, especially when you consider other similar like games like, you know, the, the gotcha comparisons are made pretty often. You know, I don't think they've ever Blizzard's ever used the word gotcha, but it's it's there is a lot of overlap between the two. Um, but even in those type of games, those games are notorious for, you know, a lot of people will do them totally free to play. And then you will have like a small percentage of people that uh, basically whale out right that that put a crazy amount of money in i know one game i know a little bit about with like that is uh genshin impact um that one you know got really really popular free-to-play game and i've heard from a few different people who have played that it's like i i know some people who have spent like one thousand two thousand dollars in that game or something on oh, getting yeah. like the oh, characters yeah. they want but even in those games they do have like some kind of pity timer and there is like a weird pity timer system in Mercs, kind of like you are guaranteed getting yeah. mercenaries and stuff early on, but it's just, it's very unclear and it doesn't protect a lot of the stuff that w is more important. Uh, in my opinion, like the, yeah. the issue uh, with the excess coins and all that, even as someone who likes the cosmetics, um, this is one thing I brought up before. So the cosmetics are traditionally, uh, at least some of them, like the rares and stuff, aren't that hard to get, right? Um, you you have a pool of, I think, 25 rares right now. And when you open a pack, if you have all the mercenaries already, I'm pretty sure you're guaranteed a portrait. Now, yep. if you have all three of a portrait for that character you rolled, you get 50 coins instead. And this is also true for the higher rarities, except you get slightly more. So if you get a portrait on an epic that you already own all the portraits for, you get 75 and a legendary is 100. Uh, the, the bigger problem with this, though, is that um, especially at some of those higher rarity ones, like I've had it multiple times where I'm still missing a ton of skins for, you know, a bunch of epics and stuff like that but I will roll an epic that I already have the skins for and get those 75 coins and yeah. I have that Merc maxed. So it's like, instead of getting a cool skin for someone I didn't have, I just get nothing essentially. Like at least until we get a coin fix, th those coins can't do anything for me. Um, yeah. It's weirdly like a pity timer that's front loaded instead of back loaded, which yeah. at first felt great. I, I would say the initial pack buying experience for mercenaries is just like the nut. Like the first 50 packs that you buy, every pack is just like, oh my God, two new guys. I've never had this guy before. Like, oh, which, what is my crazy legendary? Like, oh, I got a sick portrait for this thing. And that is all in your first 50 to 100 packs. And then that experience just evaporates. And we, we end up in this bizarre morass of extra coins and like you said portraits that don't work and stuff and i think ultimately that is kind of a testament to the fact that like uh ben said blizzard was surprised that people went as fast as they did i think we basically just speed ran their projections and so the late game systems just kind of weren't ready yet and i have full faith that they will be ready i think that is part of the reason why you and i are here mm -hmm. is that we looked this game in the mouth and just said give it a year this game's amazing 
like truly, truly, I will, I have put my money where my mouth is and so have you that I think that Mercenaries is the highest ceiling of any Hearthstone mode when it comes to comp like competitive and esports of, of anything that currently exists, more than Battlegrounds, more than Standard. Um, so it just takes time, it just takes resources, but 2022 has been an amazing uh, series of benchmarks for getting us away from what happened in 2021, some of the mishaps and little mistakes and things. Things have only started to go up and up and up and up. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's really interesting. Like uh, we've talked about before, but like I think the reason PvP got so as popular as it is um, is because of the lack of stuff to do at like an end game for the the PvE. Like mm -hmm. you know, there'll definitely always be the group of people who just like the collection aspect. That's definitely one yeah. big part of it for sure. Like I know multiple people who could not care less about PvP and they're just wanting to get their characters up and checking off the the box or in a spreadsheet or using the uh we have that cool hs replay uh collection tracker which i really like um and it's it's satisfying right to like see all that stuff go up and and whatnot and get closer to the max collection like i just hit actually full max just succeeded. that's a, that's, on, a, that's a big that's, yeah. that's the 100 100 achievement point wow achievement of just like full max everything that's a what is called feats of strength the wow gamers there that's the basically the highest achievement you can achieve right now which is sick congrats yeah no it's a it's a good feeling i am finally free from my one one heroic jail for a week for a week <laughs> yeah no it's it's really nice oh hey uh shout, shout out to rarin for the hey, raid <laughs> good to see you buddy hello everybody the one of the mercenaries ogs right he was uh he was carrying it along with us right at that that launch time so welcome everybody um yeah we're doing yeah. doing it live this week so this is our our mercenaries podcast for anyone who does not know talking all things mercenaries um so we talked a little bit you know about next year what's what's coming all that all that kind of cool stuff i don't really have a good guess on what next year is going to be because i just don't know wow lore good enough to make like a good guess um yeah you do you do to know but I am hoping I really want Anixia. Like, please give us an Anixia mercenary. Like, I, I was. Yeah, I mean, there could be an Anixia raid, right? That could be the expansion. That kind. Of, that was another thing we kind of tossed out there. Is like, okay, what if we're still a step away from Burning Crusade kind of things, and we need to finish? Like, we haven't done. We just did Altrac Valley, which is like mm -hmm. the end game PvP stuff. Uh, where's the end game PVE stuff? And they've referenced that the mercenaries folk, the devs and things have have announced and things BM and people <laughs> have announced that. Uh, and an end game PV, PVE system is in the works and raids certainly track to that. Maybe there's some mythic plus dungeons thing in there. But again, for the RARN people too, that have swung by, um, what we were just talking about is that there are a huge number of people that have been investing in this game purely from a like catch them all collection building perspective. Those people are going to get rewarded so heavily by doing what they're doing and not really just losing themselves in like the PV, like the MMR stuff or like, if they've got all the mercs when this game is perfect you're ready to go you're ready to go mm -hmm. i mean so those that is one of the most kind of admirable lines i think someone can take for right now is just stack your collection find the pokemon that you like and start getting them ready because this game is only going to get better so if you've enjoyed it at all uh, it's six months a year look back on this i mean it's going to be night and day definitely agree with that i mean that was a big part of what gave me the motivation to actually grind out a lot of the stuff with like right. completing the collection because the thing is we're consistently getting these merc drops every month right 
like we don't have a date or you know knowledge on if they're coming this month but i would be surprised if they didn't i think you know traditionally if we look at the history of stuff we haven't gotten like a preview or anything like that it's just patch notes come mercs are in the patch notes this is what's coming yeah and but it's great because like you know by the time we get those patch notes usually it's only a few days off actually getting them in the game so it's kind of cool because we get a few days to like dissect them and theory craft them and all that stuff and then you know for the the hardcore grinders among us it takes us you know somewhere about like a few days to a week to actually get stuff up and ready for pvp so there's a lot of like i i've kind of liked that it, we have that little bit of buffer time uh, because it gives you time to like you know think about like hey where can this merc go and we've seen it before like even with like the last few two mercenaries batches i think uh, particularly the dragon one it was just like there were mercs we totally <laughs> underestimated like oh, yeah. it's just it's like you know in constructed where you can see all the cards revealed and all this stuff but until you actually get you know them in game and seeing how different things interact with each other you can never really be sure and I think Mercenaries is very much that same way. Like, I mean, Beasts are back. Like, who who had that on their bingo card for 2022? Like, Nobody. I saw two or three different people running King Crush the other day. Like, I haven't seen King Crush since launch. <laughs> it has been, he's been in hibernation with his buddy Rexar for a very long time. But now, you know, we got Nuzao has been seeing some play in Beasts. And then one of the awesome dragons, Long Jin has actually you know enabled beasts as well with his equipment where yeah. he scales up off the bench for your dying beasts dying dragons it's really cool um and that is definitely one thing i think uh we appreciate a lot so far is these 2022 mercs have just been such a step up in design for the most part like i remember when pirates came out right <laughs> and the thing with pirates was i was really hyped for van cleef you know speeding up stuff with pirates it all looked really cool but then we got them and they just didn't really feel like they had a place like ironically the the merc i slept on the most cookie was actually by far the best merc of that bunch by like a mile and the other three just really at the time didn't see much play for a while now some of them are showing up a little bit like eudora was actually pretty good but like edwin sneeds they were they were memes right like Mm -hmm. they just even in pve it didn't really feel like they had too much of a home like yeah you could use them if you wanted but they didn't feel like to me they were really better than using other strategies so it's like well if it doesn't work in pve or pvp what is the purpose of these mercs and i don't think we've really had that same problem in 2022 like it, it really feels like the the characters have much more interesting and dynamic designs. And it also feels like to me at least, they're trying to make things that impact PvP in some way. Like I don't think it is happening by accident, right? Like uh we've even had one of the balance testers, uh Charles, uh kind of chime in about that on Twitter. He talked a little bit about local art design a little while ago. And it was really cool to see like how local R was designed as a bit of a, you know, Valera counter and how uh, he was an example of them introducing a little bit more randomness. Cause if you played uh, mercenaries at the beginning, especially that first uh, meta, it could definitely be a little uh, rock, paper, scissorsy. And more than that, like the games were sometimes almost predetermined. Like you would, if you knew, if you played the comp enough, you would know this is always the right line, right? 
like there there wasn't as many options or variants to it because we don't have that kind of draw variance that you get in constructed formats that always makes things a little bit different with card games that doesn't exist in mercenaries right like yeah you can swap up your leads and your benches and that can be cool and powerful but there's just way less default variance in the game so I, i think them having added some you know interesting variants there it makes the games play differently like i can run into someone two three times and we aren't always clicking the same buttons on the same turn which i think is a good thing for like the long-term health of the game yeah i mean mercenaries really it's it's interesting to see games like this that kind of follow the the normal meta trajectory of something like magic that took 10 years to develop we're seeing it develop in Six months. I mean, that's the definition of power creep in some ways is that like <laughs> history has repeated itself way faster. And so we essentially were just given alpha. We had a bunch of two mana two twos, a bunch of just like these numbers that were very linear, right? It was like pay six mana, deal six damage. And that's just the biggest thing you can do. I mean, Gul'dan literally is a meme, right? Like <laughs> Gul'dan having a 20, the number 20 on their and a number 10 for speed too, right? A 10 into it. Those were huge. Those are the biggest numbers we'd ever seen. Yep. And that's what people were kind of doing math with. We were literally counting out matchups in terms of like increments of 10 and 15 and 20 damage. And if you were ever doing 40 in a turn, you were you were popping off. And now we're seeing, we're dealing hundreds of damage in one <laughs> turn. And so we're just getting new tools very quickly, but it really does, like you said, seem to directly correlate to the designers jumping on it. We finally have a dedicated Mercs team now, right? And so... 2022, everything that has happened, I would say, from the Chigi event to the new Mercs, we're basically 10 for 10 on Mercenaries seeing like competitive play. I guess Rathion is probably the one miss. So like 9 for 10 in Mercenaries that have come out this year. The Chigi event was the closest thing that we've gotten to an interesting PvE endgame, right? And that it mm-hmm. did truly draw in a ton of people. The, the PvE gamers that had no reason to play took literally anything. Literally anything. It didn't matter if they liked Chigi or not. It was just go back and do this fight in a cool way. Go and do this fight without this type of color in your deck or do this fight without losing a merc, right? You can just do that stuff with old content until the end of time. That is a perfect way to recycle these things that regular standard wild could never really do. So everything has basically been on point and next week is just either going to be an insane cherry on top or just opening the doors to the future, but it's going to be good. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to it. I think it's also worth noting this is kind of a very... Uh, unique kind of dive into PvE for them, right? Because, you know, Hearthstone has had PvE content before, but at the beginning, it was Adventures, right? And that was kind of an example of, like, here in Mercenaries, where PvE and PvP were kind of uh, intertwined. Like, you had to, if you wanted those Adventure cards, you had to go through the bounties and, and or whatever they were called, and the missions, the wings, right? Yeah, the wing, the oh, expansion yeah, yeah, yeah. wings. Oh my god, those are miserable. <laughs> you had to pay 700 gold for to go and get risky skipper no uh, <laughs> not paying it not gonna do it and yeah. it was interesting though because uh i know like a fair amount of people actually did like that pv content and then we didn't really see once those got phased out we didn't really see pv content in hearthstone for quite some time uh, eventually we got those kind of uh the puzzle ones that came with like the booms yeah, and all day that stuff. Those were in and out like a flash, but people loved that. Mm -hmm. People gobbled that up. I think it's still there. I don't think anything is stopping people from going and clicking that button. But that's what I want to see for mercenaries, though. We that where's the puzzle? Where's the Boomsday mercenary stuff? This is perfect. It's perfect. 
Yeah. I mean, Book of Mercenaries obviously then came afterwards, right? And people, I think, also really, really heavily praised that. But that was almost really story-driven. The Boomsday stuff really had nothing to do with story. Could not matter less. Yep. We're playing a chess puzzle. But the Book of Mercenaries was just like Matt kind of right writing a ton of content and making true stories that people just wanted to go watch watch their Hearthstone anime inside their client. That was great. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there were also dungeon runs. Can't forget the dungeon runs. Those were kind of like a little... Uh, little combination of i think like you know the the boomsday puzzle stuff with like the old pve adventures and those are kind of interesting because they laid the groundwork for like duels right like with the treasures and all this other stuff so that actually led to like a whole nother mode and then like you mentioned the book of mercenaries i think to me i think book of mercenaries is like the best way for hearthstone to handle uh pve focused stuff like um i haven't done many of them i've been waiting for like the last one to be out and then i'm just gonna like go through them all uh because i don't like waiting but <laughs> i've you know i've seen like the different reactions from people and i've seen a little bit of gameplay and it seems great like i i really think that is a great way to appeal to like pv people who maybe want like a little bit more of a story or like i love the lore behind the characters so like getting to go through that and seeing like all the lore behind the mercenaries and how you know those mercenaries are tied into the mercenaries we're using in the mode will be pretty cool because I really don't know too, too much about all the lore behind them and all that. So really like that kind of stuff. Um, I, I just think that there's a, it's funny because there's kind of a sharp contrast there. And we were talking about this a few days ago. The, uh, the story in like that is very like clear and deliberate, right? Whereas in Mercenaries, there's like technically some kind of story. Like the characters talk at you when you finish those story quests and stuff. But we were talking about this the other day. It's like, I don't think any of us really understand or know what's going on with that. Like, uh, it was so drawn out, too, right? Like, it was very hard to remember what had ever happened. It was like a 42 part quest chain mm-hmm. that gave you a paragraph from various different characters back and forth. Like I said, I, I didn't even know that the Naru stuff was a part of it. I don't even I don't think that word showed up that I remembered in any of the previous story text. And then it's like in the last one. And that's probably whatever's happening next. But it, it is weird that 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 was kind of missed but yeah no it's it's interesting because like uh even though valira wasn't you know in the game as a character at the beginning she was kind of like your your guiding story character um through all the initial story quests and stuff and it's uh well apparently the story mimics the book of mercenaries story we've been we've been told here so that's good to know i i wouldn't have known that because i haven't done the the book of mercenaries stuff yet but that's cool um so if you've done like the Book of Mercenary stuff, it, there's probably a lot more context and understanding there, which that makes sense. That actually makes a lot of sense. So that's some good insight on that. Um, now, now with the new two bounties done, like we just finished killing off Kazakis, and it sounds like we're going to be going after Lady Prestor, aka Anixia, soon, TM. Uh, maybe with the next Merc Strap. I'm really crossing my fingers, like... It's funny, the the pirate drop was themed with the mini set, right? Like, we got a mini set of pirates, and then we got pirate mercenaries. So I was sure that with this, you know, Anixia's Lair mini set, we were going to get Anixia. And they just totally pulled, like, a, a 180 on us, and were like, here, have some Celestials. <laughs> Which makes sense with, like, the Chi-G event. It's just, it came out so out of left field for me, because I was like, mm-hmm. I was sure we were going to get Anixia. Because, like, last precedent said we would right like with the tying of of the the mini set and the mercenaries release however i could see uh them just pushing that down to this month instead 
So it's still kind of in that range where the mini set is relevant and whatnot before the next expansion comes in and takes over all the hype and all that stuff. But um, I really want an Anixia Mercenary. I mean, we did just get a ton of dragon support, but I think I really Ooh, like yeah. Do, yeah. we, do we want another dragon? Are you sure? <laughs> we were begging dangerous. for dragons like two months ago. Mm -hmm. I mean, dragons probably went from the most, one of the most unplayable tribes to, if not the best tribe in one merc drop, right? Like mm -hmm. that is a, probably one of the worst selling points for Anixia coming next to the <laughs> dragons are just dominant right now. Oh that yeah. That would be spooky. It definitely probably be a protector. I probably. think so. Um, one thing I've noticed is if you actually like look in the collection of mercenaries, we haven't, and like the history of the drops, we have not gotten a legendary protector yet. So far, it has been uh, fighters, and we got mm. caster in the last one, but we have not gotten a legendary uh, protector yet. And I think the reason for that is protectors actually have more legendaries than any of the other groups. I think the current numbers are, I think protectors are at seven or eight legendaries. Um, fighters, I think are, I think it's protectors eight, fighters seven and casters are six um but the thing Probably. about that is that's counting grom who is kind of the free legendary right so if you don't count the free legendary that they definitely changed who was not a legendary before because he doesn't have a diamond portrait oh yeah um, then it's equal right seven and seven and then casters are just one behind so we could get another caster but i'm, I'm crossing my fingers mm. and hoping we get another protector um, but protectors have actually, you know, started seeing a lot more relevancy in the meta again. In the beginning, it was like you could not get away with running many protectors because it was caster meta, right? Like bumping into stuff was actively a liability. You had all the, the Vulgin, Samuro stuff running around. It was just, it didn't feel like protectors outside of like Karen or maybe like the fringe Ragnaros really had too much of a Good home. Mouth. Yeah, ma'am. Ma'am was like the, the premier protector comp, right? Like, that was the one comp where you could kind of get away with double red because of all the healing and the scaling, right? Um, but other than Protect that... Protectors were very important for... The, the credit that I give to Protectors in the beginning of the game was that they completely dictated what deck you did play. I remember looking, like, when we first started playing, mm -hmm. when we were first opening our very initial packs, to me it was very much so, when you open a Legendary Protector... Which one is it? Because that will really push your comp in one direction or another. Like you said, they, they really weren't dominant by any means. They were getting farmed by all the casters that were everywhere, but every comp still had a protector and that protector really kind of held it down. So mm -hmm. in that regard, I think the protectors were cool, but then you're right. They kind of fell out of favor. Fighters became like, or casters were great. And then fighters came up to be able to farm all the casters. And mm -hmm. then we got some local R stuff. And now it's a little protector world. And now it's kind of all three color. It's pretty I would balanced, say right? Yeah. Is really balanced it out. Yeah. But we really, it kind of felt like red, blue, green, new world. That's pretty clean. Yeah. No, it, it, I think so far they've, they've just done a really great job with these drops this year. And I've been loving this last one with the dragons. Um, it's just been so much fun. Like, actually, we can see how quickly a tribe can go from totally irrelevant to one of the best tribes out there. And yeah. that gives me hope for things like Murlocs and demons who have been kind oh, yeah. of neglected, right? Like they, they just, we haven't gotten any support for them. So, and the base ones aren't that great. Like old Murkai is pretty cool. I, I tried making him work a long time ago and he was okay, yeah, he's good. but we he's don't good. have a red Murloc, right? Like that, they're kind of in the position fire was in lacking a green, right? Like the only green you could run in fire at the beginning was Tavish. 
and Tavish was, you know, he was a good merc in the beginning, but it was easy to play around him because you could only use him as a fire combo guy every other turn, right? Because he had explosive trap, and that was his only fire skill. So you couldn't, like, consistently combo your Geddon, and that made kind of Geddon weaker because you'd have to use Rag as your kind of combo enabler instead of doing something better with Ragnaros, uh, like yeah. hitting him with the die insector, even just getting a combo off or the meteor. So, but we've seen that change, right? Like it changed really fast with the addition of Belinda. Belinda was like, you couldn't have mm-hmm. given a more perfect uh, Merc to the, the fire team than Belinda. If you tried like, and that was great. Even cooler. Uh, no pun intended. She also supports frost, right? Like, I think that was kind of the the first big example we've seen of a merc that supports two different types of strategies. And I hope we see more of that. Like, I think that is a really cool thing. Um, You know, when we first got Yulon with this drop, I noticed he had three different uh, types in his skills, right? Like his first (laughs) skill was nature. His second one was fire. And his third one was arcane. And I thought that was so cool. They did end up actually changing him a bit, which was a little bit of a buff. Buff that uh, that third skill from Arcane to Nature, which I think thematically and whatnot, it made a lot more sense. Yeah. Um, and in terms of power level, it's better. Like, it's just almost strictly better being a Nature spell. You can speed it up by Mouth, enable the healing off Mouth. It scales your Nature anyway. There's just a lot of cool combo stuff there. And Zero Speed Taunt, little Mukla yeah. impersonation. That's a huge deal. No, it, it, I was playing a lot with the uh, the Nature Dragons comp today, and it was, it was just so good. Like, sometimes, <laughs> you know, the tricky thing about dragon leads is your opponent kind of has to focus one of the dragons. Like, you cannot split your damage against dragons. You will get incredibly punished, because they just have too much healing and too much sustain between Sinestra, Yulon, protecting them with damage, giving them some more health. It's just like... And then you can swap them around. So if your opponent wants to target this one dragon, well, they have to read your mind games. And sometimes you can, you know, go double mind games and not do the swap. And it's just, uh, it's really interesting. Kind of one of the first control decks outside of like, I kind of viewed MAM as a control deck too, but we haven't seen MAM in quite some time. So like most of the decks before this were kind of, Agrocentric, or I'd almost call like the the Frost Valir deck almost like a combo deck because you know snapping people yeah. on turn two is your combo, scaling up with Varden and then just snowballing away with the game. And yeah, some Jaina, Jaina was probably the other kind of like premier control deck, so to speak, where again, mm-hmm. like you can't split your damage. I think that's actually a really good way to categorize archetypes in Harsta or in Mercenaries is that the control decks tend to be, yeah, if, if you split your damage, you can't win, like if, if you don't just pierce immediately into their armor mm-hmm. the the value just becomes unbelievable whereas the aggro decks you actually kind of can split your damage against them in some cases you want to because their opening salvo then leads them kind of weak for another turn you set up these like multi-turn kills and stuff so that's actually kind of a cool way to visualize where your damage has to go in certain matchups yeah i definitely agree i mean it's like in the beginning right like early on some people were making the mistake of you know swinging into Anduin before they could kill him that turn or over the next turn and we learned very quickly how big of a mistake that is right because you know him being able to be healed is you know a net positive he can just start scaling up even more and dragons are kind of the same way like especially you know I think the as good as the new two dragons are 
I don't think we would be able to have dragons at their current power level without the absurd healing and AoE potential of Sinestra. Like, Sinestra, I mean, we that Sinestra was the one dragon that saw play entirely on her own before we got the new guys because she was just insane. She can solo a Karen Diablo cookie backline. Like, imagine telling that to somebody on launch the first month of the game that, oh yeah, this this best backline that's, you know, destroying everything, yeah, that can be soloed by one mercenary. Like, <laughs> give, it, give it a month. <laughs> give it two months. It's crazy. And, uh, you know, going back on the, the like uh, power creep and whatnot discussion before, I like to use the analogy of, like, in this first, you know, five or six months of mercenaries, it's like we, we went from classic Hearthstone and now we're all the way at uh, Mean Streets of Gadget Sand. Yeah. Like, things have really, like, just amped up a whole ton. And I don't really mind that for the most part. Um, I, you know, I think some characters are a little bit more uh, annoying than others in that regard. Looking at, like, you know, maybe Valera and Lokalar being probably a bit overtuned, um, if we're being honest. But the cool thing is, like, with the new mercs, like, it still has changed quite a lot. Like, when Valera first got introduced, it was, like, I, I just call it Valera Winter now. Because you either played yeah. Valera or you lost. <laughs> that or you was tried, like, as hard as you could to beat it. Like, only farm Valera. Like, mm -hmm. those are your options. But there wasn't even, like, a great counter to her. Like, it's just, it's just like, even the Valera yeah, counters... But did any you to play work like the man stuff? Did man work in in Valera meta? I didn't play before, much of it before. Before people started doing the frost like Belinda, like just ice cold snap you into the dirt. Yeah, I, I would honestly still say worked. that man, man was not bad against some of the Valera stuff. Or like you just had to really fight. Like the Cornelius right started to pop up. We started to find tech right. That mm -hmm. I think that was the the hopium from the end of twenty twenty one. It was people start. We had enough time kind of working with it. Part of the problem is that if people just decide that Valera is cracked and then instantly max her, they will just terrorize the meta until people literally spend the human hours to get the counter built up. And so that will really skew things. Whenever some villain pops up, they get to dictate what the storyline is until people act fast enough. And with a bigger game, like a bigger player population, that will get easier and easier, I think. So um, these really broken mercenaries are probably going to be felt the most now while they're still not buffered by a player population, while they're still not buffered by just a roster Definitely. size, right? So No, it makes a big difference. Like, anyone who's played Pokemon before, especially if you're, like, a, a player who's played, you know, since the older generations, you you can see, like, the, the huge difference that happens when you go from, like, Gen 1 to Gen 2 or Gen 2 to Gen 3 because <laughs> so many more viable characters are introduced and these characters enable new strategies that counter old strategies, and that's kind of one of my favorite things about mercenaries right now is that it really is like it it feels like it's incredibly hard to solve this game like yeah i would say for the first time this feels the hardest or maybe the most now it's officially impossible because uh, it does like like we said just up until valera it felt very tangible it felt very much so like they were kind of three decks four decks there at one point it was kind of just like jaina or valera or Lokalar, and some kind of combinations of those. And that was, again, even Lokalar came way later. So there, there were only kind of like two or three decks. There was a Shadow Samuro time of these little three or four decks. But now, for the first time, almost overnight, 30 playable decks. I, I literally cannot decide between which decks I want to play, which ones are the good ones. 
and oh, but a lot of them are fun. I, I think truly we went from a three deck format to like a fifteen deck format in a week. Yeah, it definitely like I think before you know there were a lot of different decks, but the thing was they were all using kind of the same core. And yeah. so it made them all feel similar, right? Like it was frost with one different mercenary, right? Like, and though that could change matchups and, and whatnot, it, it just, when you're running into it, it felt like you were playing the same stuff because they still had four out of six, yeah. five out of six mercs being the same core. And then you had that one merc as the flex slot. That's kind of one thing I really liked about the last meta was the thing that made it more interesting wasn't the, uh, kind of lack of diversity in comps it was we i feel like with that meta we finally got more uh flexible openers and whatnot like mm. early on in mercenaries you had your starting line and you had your bench and they were pretty strict like you're not starting diablo at the start right like diablo's right. pretty awful as a start because he only has access to to one ability and you can focus him down and you can't speed him up on turn one usually so he was like definitively uh, a bench mercenary and he still kind of is, but so many of these other comps, particularly the, the frost variants that got popular on the release of Belinda, um, Belinda, it, they're just, you can open them in like three, four different ways and have it be effective. Um, you know, we saw a lot more rag seeing play because all these freeze strategies, whether it's Belinda elemental or the cold snap, were just so popular that it demanded an answer and really the two best answers we've seen so far to those kind of strategies were like it was cornelius to block the elemental so it can't hit a valuable target and ragnaros to just totally turn their freezing off until he dies fun fact with rag is even if you cold snap and kill a rag even rag dying to the cold snap will still prevent that freeze from going off because obviously Rag is red and, you know, Jaina, Varden are blues so they can hit him for that super effective damage. But even then, if you manage to snap Rag, he still, as he's going out, saves you from that freeze. And we've talked about it before. One of the most powerful things you can do in this game is deny your opponent an action. Like, that's why Cookie saw so much play, right? Other than the, other than the additional health he gives, the Cookie snipe was just such an insane swing because not only are you giving, you know, 15 health to all your characters if you get that death blow and it's fast, you're denying a character's action. And the combination of those two things was just so, so backbreaking that that's kind of one of the big reasons why Cookie has been such a huge influential part of the Mercenaries metagame, whether it's in, you know, the CDC backline, the nature backline that got popular a little later, or just various different comps we're seeing now. Yeah, I, I, and I think part of the reason why we're starting to see, or we saw the initial examples of kind of like four out of six of the same mercenaries, partially just a testament to the fact that Frost is really one of the first archetypes that are not, one of, one of the first comps really, that had multiple pieces in one tribe that were very playable in a lot of places. Like we have Jaina, Lokalar, Varden, Belinda. I don't think there's a single tribe in the game that has reached that kind of four piece kind of break point and maybe that could be a part of the reason why we saw this phenomenon occur already and part of it is because Varden is very 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 good Belinda very very I mean they're all very good I guess right maybe too so for some reason they are the only tribe to have four and they're all great and they're all very flexible and a bunch of weird things like Frost over this winter was 
by far, I would say, better than nature, the dominant spell type. And hopefully we will be able to move away from that again with just more new mercs, more good colors. I would actually like to see the power creep come down a little bit now that we have a lot of good ones. Now just kind of give us some filler people. Give us some murlocs, right? Give us the demons, give us the fell. And because uh, you, you you can't print another dragon. It, it feels <laughs> like right now you can't print another oh, frost. Could. Right <laughs> but then so that's, that is something that kind of you can try to predict. And I think I would love to see an Anixia. I would be very surprised if they give us a legendary like protector Anixia as this next drop. But I also would be surprised if they give us anything Frost. You got to hope that they will round out the roster a little bit. Um, but Definitely. even if they don't, again, you got to figure out a way to attack Frost. That's your homework. Yeah, uh, it's it's very true. And uh, one one thing mentioned here in the chat, the uh, trick room, right? Swapping speeds. We've talked about that before. Um that is an ability I would love to see in Mercenaries. Mercenaries is very clearly drawing a lot of inspiration from a lot of Pokemon abilities and stuff. Uh, it's one of the reasons I like it so much, because I was a big uh, Pokemon battling fan. And, you know, the ability we see with Longjin, it, that exists in Pokemon. Uh, Ally Swap, it's like a newer thing. And it was incredibly powerful there, so as soon as I saw that, like I was like, alright, this <laughs> is going to be busted in Mercenaries. And Trick Room is one I have advocated for, for like, I don't know, I think I brought it up in like one of the first podcast episodes, mm -hmm. like, because one of the, we remember one of the, the biggest complaints about mercenaries, especially in the beginning when Karen Diablo were dominating a lot, was that there's not really a benefit to going slow, like speed manipulation was the name of the game. And then that got cranked up to 11 with Valera. And I think it was made, you know, a bit more obnoxious with the Valera drop because of the uh, the zero speed ties, right? Like, I think those were just so much more obnoxious to deal with than, you know, when a normal tie comes up, sure, sometimes if you lose it, it can feel bad. But I really like the mechanic in the game of how you can stack the same speed to give yourself yeah. that benefit. So that way it's like, oh, it's not a 50-50. I, you know, it's a 66-33. So that, that, that's a big difference. And that's one of those things that rewards actually like different play styles and thinking about that type of stuff uh, rather than just saying, all right, it's a coin flip. If I hit it, great. If I'm not, well, it's really bad. Um, and I know coin flips are definitely like a controversial thing about the mode, but I don't think there is really a great like overall solution to that. Yeah, like... I, I've seen someone suggest, uh, like, basically it's determined at the start of the game, like one one player will win their flips or whatever. But then, then, like, if you think insta conceding is bad now, sure, yeah, <laughs> like, <laughs> like that. people would literally just like, all right, I'll just concede. <laughs> like, it, it's uh, that already happens sometimes because of the 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 matchmaking at higher MMRs. You just get locked into the same people over and over again. And it's really strange because, like, I know you were streaming yesterday, Malhu, and I was playing, watching your stream on the side, and I was sitting in queue for, like, I don't know, like, two or three minutes or something, and your game ended, and you queued up, and we're both at a pretty similar MMR, like, I was around, like, yeah, 9200, you were around, like, that 9k range, and we were both on the, what, like, top 30, top 40, whatever it was, and it would not match us into each other like it just wouldn't we were playing and the people we were playing against i didn't see any of them like the the people i saw you playing against i did not run into at all and uh it was just so weird because you were running into a lot of frost and all this stuff just frost 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 and then i was playing 
I was trying to do a deck to like counter Frost. I did not see Frost once. Maybe like one <laughs> like time out of five games. It was beasts. I ran into like three or four people yeah. with beasts. And I saw no beasts. <laughs> and it was just like, so it makes it a little tricky sometimes because like, and you see the same kind of thing happen in Constructed too, where people get different uh, pocket metas and stuff like that. That can be very different. And so even, you know, a, a tier one deck that might be good across most of the field might not perform as well if, you know, you're you're getting matched into like a hard counter all the time, even if it's not like, the hard counter isn't a super popular deck. You start running into it a lot. It uh, it can feel really annoying. And uh, I think you talked about it a little bit on stream. The the other thing with the the rematches and the kind of strict queuing system right now is it almost makes it like even more incentivized to counter comp people. Yeah. Like, you, you can't just uh, and it, it's particularly frustrating as like someone who tries to record a bunch of gameplay for YouTube That's and all true. that stuff. Like I want to just play my comp and I want to take an hour, hour and a half, however long, and I'm just going to play some games with it. Got some good games, edit that into a video. But when, you know, you beat someone and then they insta requeue <laughs> you with like a perfect counter and you keep queuing into them, it's incredibly frustrating. It's like, yeah, I could easily just swap my comp and then have a much more, uh, you know, better chance at beating them. But I'm trying to like see this comp. I want to see it against different matchups. Like, and sometimes it feels like it can be rather difficult to do that just on ladder. Um, that's that's one reason I've definitely been a fan of the idea of a casual queue. Cause, and that's another thing that can solve PvP accessibility in a big way. Oh, yeah. Like, think about this. Like, imagine we have the option of a casual queue. Where, you know, you throw in your mercenary uh, party, whatever, whatever characters you want to use, as long as you have them, you know, it doesn't matter what level they are. If you enter the casual queue, it could just auto scale all your mercenary yeah. stuff up to max abilities. Oh, now, so good. you can't climb the ranked ladder with that. But hey, this is a great way to kind of give people a chance to say, hey... I like this mercenary, but before I invest all this time and effort into grinding them out, before I know, even know if they're any good or not, this lets me test it a bit. And then if I like it, that gives me that incentive to say, hey, I really like this character, I'll go grind them up in PvE now, so that way I can take them to the ladder and try climbing with them. And yeah, be it, sick. it's just one of those things where, um, I've said it before and I'll say it again, like, the PvP mode in th this game is fantastic, the barrier to entry is what is holding it back really hard, and you can't uh, you can't expect people to be willing to put in that grind to get to the great PvP if they don't even get to experience it. Like, because a lot of people yeah, right. aren't involved in like you know social media or listen to podcasts or watch streams or whatever, right? Um, and so they have no idea what the PvP is like. Um, maybe they've tried it once or twice, but you really don't get a full, uh, idea of what it's like until you, you're just like, you have some options to try it with. And I think that would be a great way of doing it where it's like, it, it's not like circumventing the system entirely. Like, you know, you still have incentive to actually get the coins to level up your characters, get them to max and all that for the ranked ladder. But casual queue would just be a great way to let people try it. And be like, mm -hmm. oh, wow, this is actually fun. Um, whereas I know a lot of people I've talked to who are more invested into other Hearthstone modes, whether it be Constructed, Battlegrounds, Duels, whatever. Um, 
they they don't even I've, I've had people who are like merc says pvp i didn't even know that and that's, that's a, really tells you you click yeah. on a fighting pit what does that mean like you have to uh, unlock the fight you play against also true yeah the fact that you have to pay gold to even play pvp too i mean in a certain sense right the bots were maybe supposed to be their solution like their initial solution to a casual mode in pvp where it was like don't we know there's only ranked but don't worry if you haven't really played very much yet like you'll just get a bot for like a while but that doesn't solve the real upside that you're talking about of like just this accessibility of i don't know what my buttons do i, I would like to see what pvp is like do i even like this merc am i going to put in the time to do it like that that access to just temporarily jump forward would be a huge 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 benefits mercenaries because i think we're also getting better as a community to a certain extent of understanding this game as a pick your starter pokemon mm -hmm. five new guys come out who are you gonna pick now does stop thinking that you're just gonna do all of them stop just be a are you a water pokemon person are you a fire pokemon person are you a grass pokemon person pick one that's cool and run it pick the one that you want to play and run it and now we finally have enough mercenaries where that kind of feels a little bit more viable where the game is going to be so much more about find a comp that you like you don't have to play frostvalier right you can just find the cool mercenaries the cool heroic characters with their cool abilities and you spec them the right way and you got a cool skin for them and you have fun that way and as long as the meta is viable and healthy that should be a great way to play the game and so i think we are getting a little bit better with player perception this is again it's something that has come up a lot on the podcast too is that the way that the community is actually just perceiving the game not even playing it just when the people look at mercenaries, there are so many incongruous things and just confusing things or feels bad things or extreme time or they think that they're allowed to just have a maxed collection in a week or that they, there's so many bizarre little literal perception issues. And so those feel very kind of solvable at least, right? But it needs some reworking of a mental from our perspective. I think we're doing a good job. Yeah, and, you know, even though they have said this was a PvE, like, intentionally PvE mode first, I do think it doesn't really have to be an either-or kind of situation. I think there are ways to kind of make it work for both, and the the thing that really gets me is, like, Hearthstone, traditionally, you know, we talked about some of the different uh, single-player options in the game, but traditionally, the vast majority of people playing Hearthstone they're not playing it for its single player content. It's like right. back when Hearthstone was first designed, it didn't even really have any single player content outside of facing a AI bot. And yeah. that was just doing PVP against a bot effectively. Right. Like I wouldn't even really call that single player content. Um, Cause it's, it's really just the same thing, but versus a bot rather than a player to get some practice in. And I've read interviews about where that was a very intentional design decision. Like that wasn't that didn't happen by accident. They wanted Hearthstone to be a PvP focused game first. And obviously it's evolved and it's changed a whole lot since then. But I think one thing that has not changed is that the invested players who are playing Hearthstone all the time primarily are playing PvP. Um so while I think the PvE mode in Mercs can be great and has a lot of potential, I think it is a mistake to kind of have PvP just beyond the side and as inaccessible as it is when there are a lot of people who might really like the PvP if they could try it. And then the great benefit of that is, well, if they like the PvP, they'll probably end up doing more PvE and stuff. And they kind of, they can complement each other uh, better than right now, you know, 
if you want to do PvP, you are forced into PvE. Like we've talked about, you know, being curious about what the like the metrics are of who plays what. And I, I stand by it. That must be an incredibly hard thing to gauge, because if you looked at like my time in mercenaries, for example, I guarantee oh, yeah. you my time in mercenaries is way more in PVE than PVP, even though PVP is my focus and what I'm doing and all the content and what I want to do in the game. I have to do PVE in order to get there. So I think it makes it kind of hard to analyze like how many of those people are are just there for the PVP or the PVE. As you know, there are a lot of those people who could could care less about uh, PvP stuff, but it it just makes it kind of hard to quantify. And then you know, the lack of a real end game for PvP, I think, has just made that more difficult. Because, like you said, with the perception issue stuff, like we didn't really feel like there was an end game to the PvE, so PvP became our end game. That became the goal. That became you know the reason we're grinding out all this PvE content. That like I have not been the biggest fan of in some instances um so it, it's just interesting it's uh and but the nice thing is i think they are i think you know we talked about how the mercenary design has changed a bunch i think that is indicative of them saying hey we're throwing pvp a bone here and that tells me that i think in the future we could see more stuff like that and i think they could definitely do a better job with that because when you have like when you lock pvp behind pve and i've seen this in other games it creates like a divide in the communities there because some people just hate the pve and then when you effectively force someone to do something they don't like to get to the thing they do like there's just going to be negative feelings there yeah and so i think you know you you can have it both ways like is it going to happen immediately god no um like uh, I, I thought at this point we'd have an excess coin fix by now, right? And, you know, that hasn't happened yet, so... But they've acknowledged, and this is also something that gave me a lot of hope from the, the Benley interview, was they came out and said, like, point blank, they have not been able to uh, produce content for mercenaries at a pace that they would have liked. It has been behind kind of what they have wanted to do, and he said especially... That is the case relative to its financial success. Like the game has clearly made them a lot of money. And uh, because of that, you know, that's a good thing for the company. They're more likely to put more resources into the game because it's paying out in spades. And so that gives me a lot of hope that because it's not like we haven't been getting content. I mean, we're getting content at a faster rate than pretty much any mode in Hearthstone. We're getting monthly drops. Oh, yeah, that's great. Like the the Belinda drop, you know, many of us, myself included, were like, "This was three weeks. This is a little bit too fast." Like, <laughs> oh I'm yeah, so- and even now, like next week, if if we get new mercs in a week or something like that, that's just like, whoa, okay. Like, I, I would have liked it to slow down. I mean, we we could almost see these last six months or whatever it's been as just like the mercenaries Kickstarter. It was how much money does the community throw into this? If it reaches our goal, then we'll be able to funnel more. And I truly believe that we passed the Kickstarter goal. They they got a 22-22 uh, team for us. And so begins now, as far as I'm concerned, like the, the real game, the real future of the game is essentially beginning, if not next week, uh, it began on January 1st. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And I'm I'm hopeful and optimistic that when we get this new Hearthstone New Year news, that 
we will see, you know, more than just, hey, new mercs are coming. Like, mm -hmm. I feel like, you know, they... I, I, if I was a betting man, I would, uh, I would guess that there's going to be some kind of a systems announcement. Again, I can't say anything, but if, if I was... It seems as if this is clearly what you would be gearing towards in terms of, again, this is a huge new expansion release. Whatever the new year is, the new WoW expansion, the new mobile get like this is everything's been going towards this. If you've had a team working concurrently on mercenaries this whole time, you got to imagine that some of these plot lines are going to intersect at least at this moment. Seems like a great time. So I am still crossing my fingers for this for sure. And yeah, and even though obviously, you know, there has not been nearly as much communication and whatnot as we would have liked in the last few months, it's clear that there, especially at the beginning, was an intent for this mode to be you know, a big main thing for the game. I mean, they put it as one of the main options at the beginning of the Hearthstone client. You don't do that right. if you want it to be a side mode. Like, Duels didn't get that. <laughs> uh, and, you know, but Duels is also a great thing to mention because I think um, I like to make a lot of comparisons with formats like Duels and Wild because I think you can draw a lot of comparisons with these communities. Like, when you compare it to like standard or battlegrounds, it's such a smaller player population, mm -hmm. but the, the communities for those modes are awesome. Like I don't play like hardly any duels, but I still watch some duel streams. I, I enjoy following some of the, the duels main people on Twitter. It, it's just cool to see like, and the whole reason for that is because they have awesome communities who are very uh, helpful in getting new people into these modes like, I know uh, Regis Kiblin was, like, a huge reason Duels is picked up in popularity is because he kind of became a Duels main, and that just brought so many new people to the mode. And a lot of those people found out, like, hey, this is actually a lot of fun. And so I think something similar could happen with Mercenaries in the future. I think they're just kind of in the boat of they don't want to put the, like, advertising budget or effort into that right now while there are still so many problems because they saw on launch those problems scared away a lot of people um and we don't have solutions yet for those problems so it, it kind of makes sense that they don't want to get all these new people trying out this mode when we've already seen what happens when a bunch of new people come in and then experience these issues and then are burnt out and then they quit and go back to whatever other format they enjoy um so uh, that's a good point it makes sense i think that like don't get me wrong it's incredibly frustrating on our end sometimes because like you're just like throw us a bone here like anything but the i was really happy we got at least like a bit of a mention in the the benley interview i think that was uh really important so uh definitely shout out to that and you know we are going to have a new uh lead game designer person for hearthstone right so it's like uh or game director rather and that could change a whole bunch of stuff like one important thing that i i think is easy to forget about is that ben lee was actually the big change for a lot of positive things in hearthstone in terms of pricing like the game definitely got i mean we got duplicate protection under him we got all this stuff under him that made the game pretty much a way better experience. And so I think it's definitely possible that with, you know, a new director, they could be like, hey, you know, this mercenaries mode has a lot of potential. We just need to get these, you know, handful of things ironed out and then we can start blasting 
the advertising train, hyping people up for it again. And like you, like you said before, like trailers. Yeah, the uh, all kinds of promos. The other big thing with it is, and way back in the beginning, the the lead mercenaries dev even talked about it was people were asking about speed ties a lot, right? Because speed ties were a uh, were a very controversial thing in the beginning, right? Like people were talking a lot about that. And one of the things he brought up is, well, speed ties aren't the greatest right now it generally becomes less of a problem as the pool expands and you're not running into as many mirror matches or, or comps mm -hmm. using the same characters obviously there will still be ties and stuff like that um and one kind of solution that i think would be really cool if they wanted not no ties but a bit less ties would be to literally just bump up the speed of everything by 10 yeah i heard some yeah people talked about that I, I like that idea it's i mean it's i haven't really even thought about it that much but yeah so what what is the theory behind this idea again so basically the the whole thing with this is if you bumped up everything by let's say five or ten speed it wouldn't change uh pretty much any of the current stuff in the game right because their speeds are effectively the same if they all get the same level increase however where this does help things are things like zero speed Valera ties. So for example, the you would not get nearly as many things coming down to zero speed stuff, which I think all of us can kind of agree is pretty degenerate at times and can be a little frustrating to play against. Even when you have like a super fast ability at one or two, when your opponent can act all their abilities at like zero or one speed, it's just like, it just it, they're just going so fast they can just delete your characters before you have a chance to do anything. And that is a very powerful strategy, right? Like we, we've talked about that even this episode, just like denying character abilities is one of the best things you can do in the game and speed really helps with that. So the other big thing about it that I like is that it allows for a wider range of uh, speed choices. So that will also naturally lead to less speed ties because now instead of a, you know, zero or... Have we gotten any? Are there any zero speed by default abilities? I don't think so. I don't think so. I haven't um, seen the fabled number zero yet. They just have to be sped up to get to zero. But so we have one through 10 as like base ability speeds. Well, if it went all the way up to 15 or 20, it just gives them more options in terms of speed numbers they can choose, which would make it less likely that you have to, you know, give this character six speed. So it ties with all these other six speed characters. It just gives it a bigger range so that way they have more options and then they can also fine-tune speeds a little bit better because just the 1 to 10 scale is a little bit limited when you start throwing in big numbers like 4 speed faster. Yeah, I mean, I, I think those are definitely valid points. I think it is like we, we have seen precedents for things like a number crunch or I mean, this is almost advocating for a number expansion, which mm -hmm. maybe we haven't really seen a precedent for that before. I'm not sure if there is a game that has done that. That would be cool to see if there was. But wow, we'll do it regularly. We're like, all right. And, and Diablo, I guess, another example. So like Blizzard precedents of our, the numbers kind of get bigger and bigger and bigger. And then they crunch them all down so you can just kind of hard reset and continue. So we've seen that. But that tends to be on a different reacting to a different thing. I think here what we're at the end of the day valera is the only thing that's making people go to zero right like do we really necessarily not really have to let mouth mouth does it uh i mean valera is the, the worst like one and yeah i mean the, the problem is like going to zero is okay 
it just can't be everybody and it can't mm-hmm. be perpetual. And that's one of the real issues Definitely. of is that it's yep. just the every single turn is for no, okay, that's that's not cool. Not you can't have every single turn have an endurance aura. Like, like endurance aura is cool. Make mm-hmm. one turn fast. That should always be a mechanic in the game. But so I, I don't necessarily think we need to jump to okay. No one's ever figured out horses yet in warfare. <laughs> And then the first people that had horses, everyone was like, "Is that fair? <laughs> horses? We're, no, we're supposed to play with two feet. Why do you get four? You get to go faster. This is stupid. This is dumb. Horses are broken. We'll ban, ban horses. Everyone needs to staple ten pound weights to everybody's horses. Even when we get horses, if we get horses, we'll put ten pound weights in them. Isn't that fair?" And Genghis Khan is like, "No, you're mine now." And we keep going. And so I'm rather in favor, I think, of just like let war continue to roll out and just. Let's get to guns. Let's get to big castle walls, right? We're not there yet. But currently at the moment, Valera, horses, cracked. Is it just a matter of nerf horses? I don't know. But uh, local ours is as close as we can get. Hey, right? Make it winter. See how good your horses are in the snow. I think yeah. it's okay so far. I don't know. I love that analogy. That's that's really creative. And it's uh that's that, that leads to some fun funny uh mental mental images for that, but that that's great. I think that's a great way of uh of putting it. Like eventually these things will like, you know, change Hopefully. and balance out. And we've already kind of seen that. Like you've talked a, a little bit about it and maybe you can explain it uh for anyone who hasn't heard, but you know, you didn't have Valera for the longest time and then you got her yeah. and you didn't level her up right away. But now with the, how the meta has been changing so much, you talked about this kind of idea of Valera is not necessarily the number one big baddie anymore like she was when she first came out. Um, so do you want to tell people a little bit about that? Yeah, I think the my new favorite line for mercenaries is, and it's very topical with all the uh, Dark Knight stuff coming around right now, mm-hmm. but you basically, you either die a villain or live long enough to become a hero. So it's the opposite where we are. We have truly seen this narrative of something is broken. It's kind of overrepresented in the meta. People don't know how to deal with it yet. People don't have the tools to deal with it yet. Right. We don't have guns. Everyone just has sticks. Horse shows up. It's a big deal. <laughs> but. As we kind of continue. Just to go through things, I think we're going to see more. I lost my train of thought for a second. The wow, I could not tell you the last time this has ever happened. Remember what the question was? This is years. It's it's all good. We were talking um, about basically, uh, you know, Valera becoming kind of the hero rather than the villain, right? Duh. Because the yes, narrative yes, yes, has changed. Mm-hmm. Yes, does so. Yeah, so we've got we had all of a sudden Karen Diablo cookie. It's everywhere. Everybody's talking about it. It's just the dominant bench. It's it's literally a point of complaint. Everyone is saying there's no other bench. It has to be this deck. Fast forward a month, Karen Diablo, like you said, is getting 1v3 by Sinestra. Same thing with Valera. We saw Valera show up, clearly dominant, absolutely everywhere, nothing to seemingly fight against it yet. Villain, kind of of the story meta for a little bit. But then, again, fast forward a month, she's now all of a sudden the good guy, where dragons are just going crazy, local are going crazy, and now it seems the only way for aggro to kind of crawl back into the meta is through this old tool of Valera. So is this upfront feels bad moment of there is a villain they are taking over the town right now is that okay to go through that cycle of like there's a villain and then somebody comes in the villain kind of has this redemption arc Mm -hmm. that's kind of a cool narrative to stick to if we keep doing that and it has started to happen two and three times i would say already so 
we are certainly kind of harsh when it comes to, okay, this is very good. Like we are certainly, we've talked a lot about Valera and mm -hmm. I think Valera should still be nerfed. I mean, regardless throughout all this conversation, I think Valera is still a little bit too far over the line. Mm -hmm. There are some weird design principles that get crisscrossed because of her. It just makes designing things hard, right? So I would still mm -hmm. like to see a Valera nerf, but I would suggest that everyone, I urge everyone to kind of keep this in mind that the bad guys have fallen away, right? The game has done a great job as as kind of intended by the initial release of Mercs, they said, we don't really expect to nerf things very much. We don't really expect to buff things very much. Don't expect that to happen with the regularity of standard, even battlegrounds, those kind of things, is that this rock, paper, scissors system should allow, given a healthy ecosystem, given a healthy population of players, and given healthy systems, red should beat green, and then green will beat blue because blue popped up to beat red that was beating green, and the cycle continues. So mm -hmm. as long as they continue to match that cycle and kind of keep up with it, uh, it should be self-correcting. And I think it has done a good job so far of being self-correcting, but there are these moments of pain and these, like you say, Valera winters that maybe last a little bit too long. Hopefully we're kind of past that stage now as the doors truly just open up into 15 different decks and not just three. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned buffs because, you know, that's one thing that's kind of easy to forget about was we did get a pretty big buff patch early on in the game and... Those buffs made a huge, huge difference in the long run. Like, mm -hmm. think about just how different the meta would have been with Valera, you know, with Frost, with all this stuff, if Grom was still 4-speed and not 2-speed mm -hmm. with his slam. Mm -hmm. Literally changes oh, yeah. the whole game. Like, oh, yeah. it, it just <laughs> totally flips everything on its head. And that's from one change on one mercenary. Now, obviously, Grom is kind of the standout merc in that, but other ones did see play and did have impact. Uh, Cornelius definitely comes to mind as well. Like he is still one of the big meta players. Um, you see him in frost comps. You're seeing him with Chigi now. I'm and with Valera. <laughs> yeah. And you just didn't see Cornelius before he got buffed. So I think it's a great tool in their arsenal. Um, obviously you do have to be a little bit careful with buffs because uh, we've heard uh, some of the other Hearthstone designers and balance people talk about in the past for like constructed Buffs are more dangerous than nerfs because a lot of the time uh, with buffs, uh, they have less data on those cards or characters because those cards or characters oh, are bad. So they don't really have as clear of an understanding. When something's overpowered, you can see that outlier, right? You can see it being above the rest of the field. Whereas if something is underpowered, it's very difficult to gauge, hey, did bumping this up by, you know, to speed or something changed Grom from like a D tier Merc to an A tier Merc. And it's easy to like do a change like that and then maybe have it go a little bit too far or farther than expected in terms of getting these characters to viability. Um, but I do really, really stand by like another wave of buffs, I think would go a really long way uh, mm -hmm. because um, someone mentioned in the chat, you know, they felt like the, the, a lot of the launch mercs are more PvE oriented, and I agree with that take. I think a lot of the characters were, you know, it was okay if they were bad in PvP because they could fill a role somewhere in PvE, which was like the intended focus of the mode. So that kind of makes sense. But now that we seem to be getting way more characters that are focused, or at least, you know, there is intent in making them viable for PvP. I think it wouldn't be a bad thing to go give some of these launch mercs an extra helping hand as, mm. you know, it's not going to wreck PvE balance, right? Like, 
PV no, is no, already it make it better. Theoretically. Yeah, exactly. Like it would give you more characters that you can have more viable strategies with for PV. So it's kind of like a net win for everyone. Obviously they have to be careful with it. We don't want four more Groms popping up, right? Like right. suddenly Uther becomes one of the most played characters in the game or something crazy. Like you, you do have to be yeah. careful with it. Um, and I do think that is why they haven't like done another big buff patch. Um, Cause they probably saw the results of that first one where Grom just became so crazy. Um, but there are other mercs in that buff patch who, even though the buffs helped the characters a lot, those characters still don't see any play. Like, uh, Mutanus is a great example of that. It, the, so... Jaraxxus. Yeah, Jaraxxus. Mm-hmm. And those are kind of under-supported tribes, right? So, like, maybe that's another reason they don't want to go with buffs right away is because they know, hey... In the next three months, these tribes are getting more support. We don't really want to jump the gun and make them crazy powerful now because then they're sure. going to get even more stacked like we saw with like once. I mean, Grom was good when he got buffed, but then when Valera came, it was just like, whoa, this is insane. <laughs> and now Grom is also kind of in that boat of becoming a bit of the good guy because coincidentally mm-hmm. enough, 15 damage with his equipment gives him uh, enough speed and power to kill a belinda elemental before it can freeze you and that is really really important in the uh the current meta like he is up there with cornelius and ragnaros as one of the best counters for uh these kind of freeze strategies which Mm. i think are easily the most uh complained about and most unfun thing to like face right now in the game like yeah just like it's like all the most toxic characters in one comp right yeah (laughs) cold snapping you infinite speed with valera every single turn and then belinda's like the new just i'm actually kind of okay like belinda i've been very pleasantly surprised with in terms of her power level i think she nailed it in terms of a legendary power level the elemental really doesn't last for many turns it rarely lasts for more than a turn right if that if that elemental is sticking around for like three and four turns just freezing something every turn then it's just a disaster but yeah it's I like the Belinda to really steal that together. And we got a very powerful aggro combo deck like that. And yeah, it is, it's tough to play against. It has those feel bad moments, but like you said, Grom now coming back to be the hero that can attack the Belinda's and even just turn on Mm -hmm. their own Valera. Right. So I I like to see it. I like to see it. It's neat. And you know, it's important. We do have these kind of more aggro options. Like, as as much as I was absolutely sick of uh, GVT, Grom Valera Thrall, uh, when it first came out, and it was incredibly overplayed on NA. Like, I mean, it was one of the best comps, but yeah. I, I've i talked with a bunch of, like, EU people, and GVT's representation on NA was, like, double. It was just so much more popular, and it's kind of an interesting thing we see between the servers. Um, like, right now, I've been watching a bunch of EU streams, and over there you see dragons so often on high level ladder. Like, whereas here on NA, in my experience, we saw quite a few dragons like a week ago or so, but now they're kind of rare and it's not because they're bad or anything. And it could also be because, you know, people are still leveling up their dragons and whatnot. Obviously not everyone can grind as crazy as me and just get them done. (laughs) So we can try out all the different comps and stuff, but like, there were more of them like a week ago and now I very seldom see them. Like maybe it's one out of yeah. 10 games or something. I watch like grumpy play on EU, Finny play on EU, 
literally dragons are like half the game sometimes and so it's interesting i I wonder how much of it could just be because like there's a new thing to try right like the the Mm -hmm. chigi is here to is here to mess around with but the dragon deck has no flexibility right it's the same opener at the same time like the decks that had one open spot that can try a new merc like those are always going to be i think overrepresented and i wonder if it's because of dragon's inflexibility it really kind of seems like that deck is kind of locked in as what is good like dragons nature backline run Mm -hmm. it it's powerful don't need to change anything it's not even a good deck to change things up in like h card is kind of locked in there but um pretty interesting pretty exciting i what do we think about is the the five o'clock note on the button here chat question time yeah open it up to the chat before we move into we kind of talk about some more like either just true meta stuff i think we want to talk about some more of the decks that are popping up some things we've been trying uh so we're going to go into that but I, I, I say, if, if we're down for it, we'll yeah. open up to some chat question time, pick some questions that we might like. So if anybody has any questions about mercenaries, again, new player, old player, established, whale, free-to-play, <laughs> a, a merc that you think should be unnerfed, buffed, who knows? Um, yeah. What do the people think? Let's hear, let's hear some things. Yeah, questions are great. And I mean, that's one benefit of doing this live, right? We, we get to yeah. talk with people in real time and see, hey, what do you guys want to hear about? Like, what are... What are your your burning mercenaries questions that that you want to hear some answers for? So, if do you think you, you have the sick solution to extra coins? Do you think you have the PVE system ready to go? That was kind of something I wanted to mention before too, while people are thinking or typing. Um, it really what we just need we just need a PVE that's replayable, right? That's all that we really need is just a, like PVP is replayable. I think that's why so many people are playing PVP because if they want to play mercenaries, to a certain extent, the only way you can click the button over and over and over again is PvP and have it be different. And so once we have that in PvE, then um, I think that will be... That, that's all that we need. We just need something like the Chigi event, right? That has the kind of go do a funky quest. It doesn't even have to be a just click the button and it's new every time. It can just be a, a series of things to progress over the week or over the month or who knows what, like speed running ladder, puzzles, etc. But what do we got coming true? So our first question here from Dizzy uh, what is the most elegant fix you believe regarding mercenaries packs? Not just excess coins, but the packs themselves. Do, do they need to change if the extra coins are fixed? I, I like this question a lot. Because um, for anyone who doesn't know, I am rather opinionated on the pack system. Did a, did a whole video talking about my experience with that when I got absolutely blue-balled on the last launch or something where I opened, like I don't know, like 40 or 50 packs and got zero coins for the new rares like and like barely any for the epic and the legendary it was just it was a very feel bad experience and to me that's something that should be a priority to fix because obviously uh like he mentions in the question this problem is amplified by the lack of a excess coin solution we can look at standard for example and be like hey i own all the cards in standard right if i open a standard pack unless i get lucky with a golden or something um I'm not getting anything of value, right? But at the very least, you're getting your dust, which you can use to craft stuff, and that dust isn't limited like the coins are, right? Like, you're getting a resource that you can choose to basically be like, hey, I want to craft a legendary next expansion, or I'll save up my dust so that way I don't have to buy as many packs or whatever. And I think that is the big thing that I want to see change, is just giving players a bit more agency and actually being able to choose because right now it feels like a crapshoot basically um just 
really bad gambling. Like if I wanted to gamble like this, I would just go to a casino. Like, because at least then I can win some money back and it's not just sunk into the game and these useless coins. But to me, the answer to that question would really be, yes, we need the excess coin fix because that will uh, that will alleviate some of the problem because it'll be like standard where hopefully you get a currency that you can convert into useful stuff and that will be a great way to fix it. Um, one of the biggest things to me though, and I've complained about it before, is I still don't have a freaking Yulon portrait. That's a rare. Rare portraits are not hard to get. That that seems like something is weird beyond just variants at that point. Like it's... it does seem like this game has had weird issues with the packs in terms mm -hmm. of like a number fell off the table at some point and then they just gotta pick it back up and put it back in, but but you have had a weird experience with that. literally over 70 packs and I got all four of the rare skins for the other new rare and I got zero for this one and rares, you know, once you have all the characters, you're guaranteed a rare skin in every pack. But if you think about the odds on that, it's they're 25 rares. It's a one out of 25 chance. So I've basically gone three times over those odds and haven't gotten it. But anyone who's played like a very RNG heavy type of game knows that's a thing that can happen. Like those are just the odds. So to me, obviously excess coins would go a long way, but the, the big thing I really want them to change or fix about packs is duplicate protection for portraits. I can't tell you how frustrating it is for me to open a pack when I have so many max characters, even before I had them all maxed and I was still missing some. It was so frustrating when I'm missing skins for a legendary or even missing skins for an epic that I would roll one on a character that I already have all the skins for. It's like, I love the cosmetics in this game and I wish there were a way I could actually acquire them. And we've talked about some ideas with that, but like if you're going to make packs be the main way to do it, there really needs to be a little bit more protection in place there, especially when you don't have a solution to the excess coins currently, because it makes those coin portraits that get converted feel even worse than they already are. Yeah, I think, like you said, definitely extra coins fix is is mandatory, essentially. Um, I wouldn't necessarily change anything about the packs going forward if we did have that extra coins fix. I think you would get people. Also, I depends guess what it is, right? Then. Right. Yeah, the, it depends on whatever the, the extra coins fix is. But um, I would almost be a little bit afraid of the fact that people would never buy packs if they change the extra coins, like it would become that like packs are only good for the new players in that initial launch of things. If they don't increase some weird duplicate protection thing. So I would almost like to see the extra coins fixed, but then make packs almost different, like just make them so that they have value throughout the entire way, because how considering how easy it is to get random coins for people you don't care about, it's almost too easy to farm a pack's worth of random useless coins right now. Mm -hmm. So if they did give us an extra coin fix, I feel like packs would almost become irrelevant except for a very small part of the player base. So I would actually like to see a change to the packs, but in a very different way, or we just got to scale the numbers in some weird way, either make the packs way better or make PVE farming, like make you getting random coins a rarity. But at the end of the day, uh, I'm going to be very curious to see what happens to the player perception around packs if we get a, a 10 to 1 converter or a wild card system. I mean, that would maybe be the cleanest way to do it, right? Is like you do some mm -hmm. kind of arena style wild card, magic arena yeah. style wild card system that so maybe that can address the duplicate 
portrait protection. You got the extra coin protection where now you can just like have a craft a random legendary or craft yeah. a random legendary skin or craft a random le like craft a, a specific epic that you want. Literally even like craft a random legendary at a smaller cost or that could be opened in a pack or something like things like that. Maybe just putting additional tokens into mm -hmm. these packs instead of just a raw number of coins. I think something like that would be an interesting change. Um, and that could be a good sync to coins, right? Like think about, you know, obviously one thing they're probably worried about is, hey, all these people like me with 200, 250,000 excess coins. Well, if we just let them convert, you're like you said, not going to have to buy anything <laughs> because you can just max out your characters with your extras. But that's why a greater coin sync would be an awesome option for this because it doesn't have to impact the main playability of the game because it can just be around cosmetics, but you can make it, let's say, let's say if they did a 10 to one conversion rate on coins or whatever for like converting excess, let's say to get a skin or something, you needed to throw a thousand coins at it and of that specific rarity or whatever X number, right? Like, but if you do that, you get a random skin for like a particular character you want. Cause we've talked about that before. Like there should be a way to kind of guarantee like maybe I'm not guarantee I'm not picking the skin but I'm guaranteed to get it for a character I actually want to use and then you could bump that number up way higher to give kind of a a use for these excess coins and a coin sink so people actually spend them so they get those numbers down and they can't be converting them every set release right yep yeah having having a way to like bait people into spending their extra coins in some other way so that it continues the farm in that sense i think that's actually a pretty important idea i think that's a good idea yeah and, and uh, then I, it doesn't have to impact impact gameplay right like you're not putting a gameplay feature behind that it's purely cosmetic it's like if you like it yeah, awesome true, do true, it true, true. but like it's not required which is the important mm -hmm. part because you know i'm sure there are tons of people out there who have like no excess coins or very few excess coins and whatnot but it, it's definitely a complicated issue but i i think i like you know both of the ideas we mentioned here um hopefully we won't have to wait too too much longer for uh for those changes i mean a cute angle with some uh burning crusade stuff i, I still have like rooted in the back of my head a a potential way to design the, the extra coins fix by having a vendor that actually shows mm -hmm. up right and that's how you put the extra coins through them the like ethereum trader people are a branch of npc in wow that are kind of famous for the first, they're kind of like the Burning Crusade style, right? So if we're gonna continue to like hard commit to this Naru angle, like the outside and space people land, mm -hmm. they're kind of famous for having like dealing in anything, right? Having these kind of like very bizarre and fancy and special kind of like otherworldly merchant systems that works pretty well you could like kind of narratively make that make sense in terms of they are the ones that could deal in that system so something like that could be actually pretty sweet yeah. um but another question i saw in here that's kind of a of a different side of things we'll answer this because it answers also a couple questions that have showed up um is just in terms of like nerfs and talking about old characters and in particular we'll start with the question that was dealing with like should mouth be nerfed so should malfurion be nerfed is just a question um I have probably played more Malfurion than any legendary that is in the game right now. They were the first legendary I opened up. That's what I was saying. I was like, whoever, whatever protector I open, that was going to be my direction, right? That was going to dictate kind of what comp I played. I opened Malfurion, extremely lucky. I could not imagine how my mercenaries experience would have been if I had opened literally like Gul'dan or Garrosh or something, right? I would have probably been an orcs one trick if I had opened <laughs> Garrosh instead of any, instead of Malfurion. But so in my experience playing with Malfurion, I played a lot of him 
And GG is now the first thing that I would say is pushing him into a maybe too good range in terms of a synergy of being able to have that stacking heal power. Now Malfurion, every nature spell is triggering and healing your team for like 15, 18, just these insane, insane, insane numbers. So uh, I think this is the first moment where he's maybe pushing the limit. So my short answer is actually no, I don't think he should be nerfed. I think nature bench is fine, interesting. I think committing to playing Cookie and Malf and Brucon on the bench is a pretty high investment. Doesn't have much flexibility, not really boarding in very interesting angles, right? Your opponent tends to be able to play around it. The colors actually show themselves quite well on the bench that you can see if it's ever two blues and a red on the bench, you tend to know that it's Cookie, uh, Brucon, Malfurion, and even Cookie buff kind of tells you that that's coming. So mm -hmm. there are all these like weird little semi nerfs to Malfurion, even his opener play, right, is... If you open with Malfurion, that's probably when he's at his best because you get to speed up, start healing right away. But he gets lit up by all kinds of blue guys. Jane is mm -hmm. very good. His damage isn't high. Um, his heal is at an eight speed, right? So I think he's actually a really good example of a very good 2021 Merc. He's really not in the 2022 design space, I would say. But for that reason, I think he should stay exactly where he is. Yeah, um, I agree with a lot of your points. I... You know, earlier on, I think nature definitely frustrated me a little bit, but now that we're having more uh, diverse backlines and stuff, I really don't have a problem with it. Like, Malph is really strong, and the nature synergies are really strong, but I think you need that right now. Like, yeah. um, one of the interactions I think is really great is we talked about how Sinestra can solo one of the best old benches, Karen Diablo Cookie. Well, the nature bench destroys Sinestra. Um, yeah. Now, if you have Sinestra and two other guys, that can be a little different. But if you, you know, whittle them down to Sinestra or just Sinestra and one other, Sinestra cannot solo the nature bench because between the healing and the scaling, you're able to out-sustain her really big AoEs, even though they're critting you for 60 on two of your guys. And I just think that it serves a very important place in the metagame right now, especially with Chi-Gi um, enabling some kind of new interesting synergies there. I think Malph is a great example of an incredibly powerful mercenary who is not like Valera broken. Like, and yeah. you also have to kind of go out of your way to do these synergies. Like, you if you throw Malph it's in something on their own, like you can't just throw Malph in any comp because you're not getting those speed ups off of his ability. If you don't have nature, you aren't getting those heals from his passive. So, I think. Personally, I don't think there's any any need to nerf Malfurion at this time. It's also just like so illegal to nerf a protector right now when we're like screaming for there are so few protectors, playable protectors already that like gutting one of the best ones that is this kind of bastion of hope against Sinestra's in the future and just making nature play. I mean, nature would just be unplayable if there's no Malfurion, right? Like easily at the end of the day, you don't you don't want to gut the entire tribe itself and i think the the legendary mercenaries should kind of be that right they should be the pillar that if you can take down their leader there there it starts to kind of fall into shambles a little bit and it's that, true i think mouth is very very good in that way doesn't do anything by himself the the leaders that are too good by themselves are then the ones that get too pushed like valera right mm -hmm. she can just lead anybody it doesn't matter what ragtag group of bumbies that she has if you're mm -hmm. just faster than them you just light everyone up so I think Malfurion is probably in ultimately in an okay place, but um, maybe we take that meta angle and transition into talking about what the heck does the meta feel like right now? One what is, more. What is going on? Do you have some idea? One All more right, one good more. question. 
um, that I thought would be a fun one is, and it kind of relates to that. If we had to pick, uh, who is our favorite mercenary and who is our least favorite mercenary of the current pool? Um, for me, kind of an easy one here with this is, uh, I think Longjin is my favorite character at this point. I love everything about this character's design. As soon as we got Eudora in the beginning, like literally as soon as I saw that that cannon and bench swapping and moving around stuff, I I just knew we were getting like an ally swap ability uh, where you can just like mind games your opponent. And the other thing that I really, really like about him is all three of his items are viable and they all kind of promote different builds and strategies. Like the the dragon HP buff one and the uh, the swapping starting off cooldown and nature resist are a little bit similar in that they both kind of support dragon strategies, but there are different benefits to them, right? Like the nature uh, damage prevention is almost like an afterthought a lot of the time because you're mainly running that ability to swap on turn one, which is huge against some comps. Like I was playing it earlier today. And the fact that I could do that against Frost Valera and mess up where their elemental was swinging and what units they were focusing on turn one, won me games I would have not won without it. Um, so I really, really like his design, and I hope we see more stuff like that where it's like I can run him in like three different comps, and depending on which item I'm using, I, he plays totally, totally differently. Like he's a big reason why Beasts came back, for example, because of that scaling the arcane. You know, and just his skills in general have such interesting design that, uh, you know, even if he wasn't a tribal unit, he would be really, really good. But the fact that he gets like a powerful tribe on top of that is just so, so cool. So that's going to be my favorite. And then for least favorite, it's probably, I think it's Uther right now, um, just because I, I really like his art a lot and I wish he could see play in like anything like Uther's one of those mercs that even when at the start when like some of the lower power characters were being experimented with and whatnot he just he was kind of like Antonidas like but at least Antonidas had a purpose at least Antonidas was good in your fire farming comp right Uther wasn't even like making the cut for like PVE holy farming right like you you might as well just throw in, you know, Velen, Anduin, Cornelius, Velen, Anduin, Mukla, they're just, even in the dedicated holy comp, which should be his thing, it didn't feel like he had, like, great purpose to be there, and he's just had, like, a negative amount of relevancy in PvP. So, that's probably my least favorite mark of the bunch. Those are two good ones. Double cat, two casters, too, so not even blue bias. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, my, honestly, my favorite is probably Malfurion um i've probably been playing with them the most they feel so balanced they feel like they put a lot of what like they just put good things together and honestly like in general my favorite merc would probably tend to be one that and I, I still am waiting for more of these mercs where all your abilities are good you want to click all of them at different times and they just have their different places in literally like every single type of matchup and they're just fast enough right they're not too fast to feel just like giga broken or to even like trigger your opponents into like being mad enough to counter you or anything like that, right? Like all the abilities are like good speed. There, it's a good protector that again is kind of of this maligned color at the moment. Um, has some cool synergies again with like nature is a powerful mechanic in general. More support from nature will even get more interesting. And Malfurion will at the end of the day, if nature is ever playable, I will be 
stunned if mouth isn't a part of it. Mm -hmm. So I think they're just a really good example of a number of things. So I'll probably vote for mouth for my favorite and least favorite. Um, weirdly, I maybe my answer is Gul'dan, as I was talking about them before, for a couple of different reasons. Uh, honorable mention to Valera, but only because I think that she should get nerfed, but that's different. Mm -hmm. um, Gul'dan only because they are a good example of like a waste of space for a legendary that orcs they almost wanted like Gul'dan to be to orcs what Longshin is to beasts where it's the caster that can make the very like red green deck tight and dynamic and that it comes onto the bench in some way and Gul'dan was kind of supposed to be that I don't think ever in my history playing mercenaries did my opponent board in a Gul'dan and I went oh no it's Gul'dan I just went oh sweet the game is over yeah, like my opponents just no longer can win because they played Gul'dan. And so that feeling sucks. I, I would want again, it's not even because I like dislike him or I hate him. I think it's just kind of a it feels bad. It does, like we were saying before, that a lot of the mercs found themselves almost designed by their PVE relevance. It seems like a lot of 2021 mercs were almost designed in relation to what the PVE content looked like. And those numbers for the PVE guys are like very medium, very low, not interesting, not crazy abilities. And so deal 20 was just like good enough. But I, I would like to see maybe a Gul'dan, like, I would rather him get reworked. I don't even think mm -hmm. that there's a way to really, like, buff them. You could make their super siphon soul or whatever that heals all your orcs, like, four speed. And now they are uh, that bot. But at the end of the day, I think they kind of fall as a, what should or could be a banger. Just kind of fell off for me. You can do that with Vol'jin. Uh, so his third yeah. skill is actually Shadow, which I did not know. Um, and I ran into oh, that a few days ago. Okay. Yeah, you can speed it up with Vulture and stuff. But Gul'dan kind of falls into that category of he's kind of a one-trick pony mercenary. And I think uh, we've seen them kind of move away from that design, which I think is a great thing. I think it just gets a little boring when you know Valyra is going to be spamming her skill one over and over and over again um, and whatnot. And we've seen some uh, some characters that experiment with the design space of punishing that. You know, he didn't see a lot of play initially, but Galvangar has started to show up yeah. in a few different comps now. And let me tell you, when you get a uh, his skill three off at the right time where it, you know, shuts down uh, opponent's abilities that went off before him for three cooldown, that's insane. The, the button is gone. Like, I had that happen to me. Uh, someone played it against me and they shut off my cookie snipe. Let me tell you, Cookie becomes a lot worse when you have to juggle between fish and bleed every turn. And three cooldown is such a long period of time. Like, think about it. Like, so many abilities, like, live or die on being one or two cooldown. Like, we, we've talked about it in the past on Alex, how her third ability, if it had one cooldown, Alex would be a much, much better character. But two cooldown is just really, really rough. Like, you have to compensate with that by just making it such a cracked skill that you can like wait for that cooldown like uh brucon's chain lightning with the equipment is a great example of that like we can justify that because he's coming out in the late game so we don't have to like uh feel the pain of that quite as much and because the the extra bounces are so powerful it justifies that additional cooldown whereas um some of these skills just it feels like like i think you could have Gul'dan's healing thing not even have a cooldown and he still wouldn't see any play like, it has a cooldown? Yeah, you can you I'm can't sure I knew that. Yeah, it has Jeez. one cooldown. So you can't even use it every turn. So that's kind of like his best ability okay. that he would be like a one trick with, he can't even use it every turn. Um and that's I think yeah, the I biggest just reason. I don't even know. Yeah. Huh. 
like and Gul'dan hasn't always been terrible like I I made him work in an orcs version and there's some cool synergy there where you can uh set up apocalypse on Diablo to guarantee a crit and then you uh, okay and that yeah. was one of the few examples where his healing scales with the damage mm-hmm. we ha- we haven't had other mercs that do that yet um now with Chigi we kind of thing. do but yeah. like none of them directly scaled with the amount of damage Whereas Gul'dan, you guarantee that crit, you're going from 16 healing to 32 healing, and it doesn't just heal your orcs, it heals your demons, which Diablo is. So there was... Uh, okay, see, there you go. It was a cool there, synergy, there and yeah. it worked, but it doesn't work anymore. Like, it's too slow. <laughs> um, with Diablo falling off, with Sinestra becoming a thing, it's just that version of orcs uh, don't really... They just... They don't have the power to see play right now. Uh, we've seen different orc builds kind of pop up since then but none with Gul'dan because he he just yeah he, I don't even remember what his middle ability does <laughs> he, like I have no idea it's like he, the repeat for every fell spell that you cast like or that. something and it like does a random six damage or something to every random guy or, or like for yeah for every repeat fell which again maybe we'll get fell support and demon support coming into this new set I think that could be pretty reasonable because mm-hmm. um, that is certainly one that was talked about they gave us the Diablo as a pre-order, right? So there are certainly people have been playing with demons. People want demons to be good. Draxus is cool. They buffed them, right? They literally buffed multiple demons and it still wasn't good enough. So it's gonna be a it's gonna be a while, but yeah, especially when Gul'dan also competes with all these really good blues on the bench. Mm-hmm. Like you're not gonna be able to you would almost literally rather just play a Brucon than mm-hmm. a Gul'dan. I, I bet if orcs if every Orcs player had cut Gul'dan and just played Brucon <laughs> on the bench instead, their decks would probably be better. But Galvangar and stuff, I, I, I want to see those mercs seeing more play outside of Orcs, too. I want to mm-hmm. see... That's maybe the one problem with these kind of tribes that are underpowered at the moment, is that if you ever try to print a new mercenary for them, it has to either be so good to hard carry the entire tribe itself, or we have to go back and rework those other mercs. That was kind of another question that was in the chat of, like, would you rather go back and, like change the mercs that are pre-existing or just say like you stay back there you're there for like the newer players or the beginning of the game getting used to it and new mercs are going to be the new world of design I, I would like to see some reworks on some of these old guys and again we haven't really talked about it on this episode but they basically can't nerf anything until they give us an excess coins fix like they have to implement yeah. a system to pay us back because this game more than any is just like if they if they nerf your legendary in, in Hearthstone or whatever, you get your dust and you're you're happy and you go on. You literally didn't even really invest that much time and energy into getting any given card in Hearthstone, or at least it didn't feel like that. Mm-hmm. But in this game, you are actually sitting there and playing the video game and clicking buttons with one goal in mind for like hours and hours mm-hmm. and hours, or spending dollar after dollar to be able to get these things. So a yet another bind that Blizzard is essentially in right now where you can't refund us. So they can't take anything away or else people will just lose their minds. So definitely another incentive to have this fixed soon. But the the one way we've seen them kind of get around that a little bit has been with some of the uh, quote unquote bug fixes. Now, some seem more bug fixy than others, but a few examples of that for anyone who, you know, isn't aware, uh, they change some stuff like with Karen, right? What the first one we saw was like the nerf to Karen, where before in the beginning of the game, if your Karen died and you know was reincarnated, he still acted with whatever skill you queued that turn. 
they decided, you know, that is a little bit too good. And I definitely agree with that. It just, it, it's yeah. kind of weird how, you know, he's treated as another entity in all the respects. Like if you slow Karen and kill him, the, the spawned Karen is not slow. So for consistency's sake, I think that made a lot of sense for them to do that. Um, one that I think it was less clear with uh, was Blink Fox. And an example with that one was you used to be able to, with Blink Fox, uh, when you steal an opponent's skill, if you had a, a Blink Fox on the bench and you got to your uh, Merc Select screen when one of your guys dies, if you hovered over Blink Fox in that little bit where it would tell you like the info about your skills, you could see what you got off of yeah. the Blink Fox before you actually pulled it out. So that led to like a huge strategy thing where it's like I can look and see if Blink Fox rolled the OP skill that I need to have them be good here before I even make the decision of throwing them into the field, which was definitely an advantage uh, like that. That makes a huge, huge difference sometimes. Um, and then we saw another thing with Brukan where Brukan's chain lightning used to overkill units. So like it, it bounced around, but if it hit a target that had already died some of that damage could be wasted on that character again. And this is interesting because it wasn't just a nerf or a buff in this case. It was kind of both because while it's better, you're not wasting damage. That means if you overkill something and there are only two units, you don't get an extra bounce. And that can be really relevant versus things like Sinestra because sometimes you want there to be that second unit. So Brucon's Chain Lightning zaps it an additional time so you can kill it fast the next turn. So I thought that was like probably the most interesting example of like a way they used bug fixing to both buff and nerf a character in some ways. So I think until we get a proper excess coin solution for like the reasons you mentioned, there's just too much precedent. People would be really upset about no kind of refund because the crazy amount of time it's required to like fully level a character. Um, so I don't think we're going to see any direct nerfs like that until we have a refund system, whether that be the excess coins, something else entirely, whatever it is, I just don't see them doing that. And even when they do have that, I think they're going to be uh, just very, very uh, unlikely to nurse something unless it is an incredible outlier. And I think it would have to be a bigger outlier than any of the characters we've seen so far, even Valera, for them to yeah. like immediately nerf something. Especially when the design cycle is so fast that you could get away with the argument in standard of being like, all right, whoops, snuck through the cracks, didn't really realize this interaction or this number was a little bit too bad. They're not getting cards for three months. We have to nerf it. But here now, like Valera happened. It was just a complete renaissance of how speeds were attacked. But if they know that in two weeks we're printing local R, you're never going to nerf her ever, ever, ever in a million years. And so now when the devs actually know that they are giving us new stuff every month, that's yet another reason why nerfs and buffs are going to be even less likely. Nerfs especially, right? Buffs can kind of come whenever and we'll probably see more buffs than anything in this game than nerfs. But I think that's probably a huge reason that when something is broken, it's probably going to stay broken until new stuff shows up. But we might start seeing a cycle of something comes out that directly answers whatever, some part of whatever was just happening. Again, hopefully that doesn't just stay up forever, right? At a certain mm -hmm. point, and even now, the format's getting wide enough that there won't ever be, hopefully, an issue that stands up as strongly or as tall as something like Valera. But Local R was an example of that. Valera was probably the most push that we had seen, the most demanding of a nerf. And they gave us a merc that was fine and kind of put her into her place. 
did that other merc create some other problems? Potentially. Is that what power creep is called? Yeah. But, <laughs> I mean, so far, I'm still okay with the rate of not nerfing things. I would like to see more buffs. The wider open the format, the better. Let's get Valera nerfed by two speed on her unnatural smoke, and everything's fine. Everything's great. Yeah, I think that's the big thing for me is, and that's why I have a little bit of an issue with Localar, even though I like him a lot more than Valera. I think Localar is problematic because they had to print Localar at a power level that was very similar to Valera to be able to actually be a counter to her. And I think they've handled the more recent drops a lot better than... Like, the local art drop was fine, but he he stands out to me as the one that was too pushed. And I think he was too pushed because they were afraid if we didn't over-push local R, then he just doesn't work as a Valyra counter. So the, the two nerfs, the two biggest things I would like to see, like, let's say, you know, we get a pick. Hey, we can nerf some mercenaries. Really, there are no characters I want to nerf right now, except... Knock Valyra's uh, speed up with a natural smoke down from four to two and do the same to local R's frost damage equipment. Four yeah. is an absurd number. Uh, like it's it's just if it only could proc once, sure. Twice, <laughs> maybe. Three times? Yeah, no. Like it, Four times. <laughs> like it's just it's too the damage scales so, so much and so, so fast. And it really feels like the whole reason that happened is because they they. I think they felt they could not print a Valera if they printed a Valera counter and it didn't work, people were gonna be really upset because Valera was trying a lot of people's patience because it was also over the holidays and we had the Valera meta last longer than a lot of the metas since, and I think that has helped, right? Like the the time we had with when Valera got introduced, it took so long to uh to get anything that could kind of counter or change that meta. I think it made it feel even worse. Um, so I think they kind of were like, all right, we have to make sure this one's a slam dunk, gives people a viable strategy for countering it, which is great. But if you if you nerf Valyra down a bit, I think you can also nerf Lokalar down a bit. And I think cutting those in half down to two each, they're still more than playable, more than powerful ca uh, characters, but they're just a bit more reasonable and it gets rid of some of those annoying things like uh the the amount of zero speed ties we sometimes see yeah and all, like we also kind of had talked like the uh, we've said a bunch of times already even just like on this show right that if, if local r wasn't frost if local r was or, or nature i guess right it, but if local r was any of the janky colors or any of the janky spell types then that Merc would have been totally different. But we just mm -hmm. have this critical mass of Frost stuff right now, and so it just, all, all the tensions feel extra pressured because there is kind of a two-stack deeper than any other type of spell right now. So I think we are just in an odd little mess. But like like Chad was saying too, uh, if if we print a Valera counter and then we start seeing the Valera local Ardex, they start to probably be, <laughs> something. something's probably awry if the counter is just playing the card that counters it because it's also just insane. Yeah, and though you do see, you know, it disincentivizes, you know, Valera being fast, local are wanting to be slow, you're not going to be opening with both of them, but that doesn't mean you can't run them in the same comp. You just throw them on the bench, and then you have cool alternate leads, and that's kind of why we saw the Frost right. comp take over, because, like, you're right. not 
if you have Localar as a counter, well, what if they just open Varden, Jaina, Localar? Like, well, your Localar is not doing a whole lot against that. So that's another thing where I think the fact that the game really changed with how uh, more comps are running these kind of different uh, teams where it's not a set start open and set start bench. Like, you have the, that flexibility just gives you uh, such insane room to do different things, basically, and uh, try different strategies. And it makes it harder for Local R to be like a, a pure Valera counter when they can just hold Valera off on the bench. And is Valera as good on the bench? No. But, you know, is she better than, you know, just slamming into a Local R and getting deleted by a Hailstorm on turn one or turn two? Yeah, probably. Because uh, we did some pretty extensive testing at, at different points, like we were trying some different builds, and we were seeing like the lines of like, hey, is it worth it going fast and then just taking all the big damage, or do you try and slow it down? But like, it's just, no matter what you do, local art just destroys you with like GVT, uh, ex as an example. Or even if you do play around it and like play worse skills to not get punished, you're still kind of getting punished either way because like you're not using the full potential of your good abilities. So it's, it's really interesting. And I do think like, I do think they've gotten better about it though. Like I think local R is really the only Merc that stands out as printed at like near Valera power level. I think pretty much everything else, uh, you can make an argument for Sinestra with the sustain, but yeah, especially the most recent drop, I think they really nailed it. Like the Mercs are powerful. They created new archetypes. They brought support to older archetypes that had kind of fallen by the wayside, but none of them feel like S tier auto includes. I'm basing every comp around this. Like it, they, they have homes and it's great and they're powerful, but they don't feel like I can just throw Yulan into anything, throw Longjin into anything and have it be a net positive uh, as opposed to building around it, which that is where I want the design to be. And hopefully we'll see more like that. Um, no, that's definitely a super good point of the at least make us think, right? Mm -hmm. With Valera, even Valera and Local R are both a really great idea or really not a great idea, but a great way to understand of like, are these a little bit too pushed is, can you just kind of close your eyes and put it into a deck? Then it's probably too good. Mm -hmm. And Sinestra, like you said, also, I think starts to push that limit a little bit. If you just slam Sinestra on the bench, it's kind of hard to go wrong. If you just put Local R into your deck, especially with all the counter queue nonsense that we're getting right now, it's pretty hard to go wrong. If you just put Valera with literally any, just control F3, <laughs> it's probably a good deck. And that, it just shouldn't work like that, right? It just shouldn't work like that. But um, again, when population changes, hopefully for the just the player base, so that even you just can't read what a 222 bench, what that, or a 222 deck, what what is that? Is a 312 deck? That could be three different decks. Like once that is three different decks, or once that is who knows what it is, counter queuing, it's a lot worse. These kind of all good stuff, goofy decks that should be, in my opinion, I think they're great for competitive, like mm -hmm. organized play competitive. Like those should be tournament decks. Those should be the types of decks that you see when people play League. The The same comp would never work on solo queue. But mm -hmm. if you take it in competitive and you have a team that's all working together, they've been practicing together, then that deck is great in competitive League. If you just give it to randoms, it's never going to work. I think there should be a distinction like that. I think that is really cool. I don't really like them bleeding onto ladder in the same way. I, in general, I am an opponent of this like odd counter cue, abuse the matchmaking system meta that we have right now. But again, with just a little bit more health and variance in the format, that should go away. 
a little bit better fixing of how you play against people and who you play against that should go away so a definitely. temporary problem i think so it's not a big deal yeah hopefully that's something they can change because definitely just as someone who's you know creating consistent content for mercenaries and this is a discussion i've had with like a lot of uh, other players even some who aren't creating content but who are just like some of the top players in mercenaries is that the queuing system feels so so punishing sometimes like I'm at the point where pretty much on average, uh, most of the time it takes me between three and five minutes to get a game. That's so that's crazy. So I am ob objectively way faster of a queue time than you. Yes. And that seems really weird. And it is probably because, or I guess, what what do you think? But I, it has to be because you have a super max collection, right? No, it, I, you know, I thought that, but guess what? Uh, so this leads back to the example I was saying the other day, you know, I was watching your stream while I was queuing some games and whatnot and i was kind of comparing our queue times a little bit right and but the thing i thought that too i was like all right you know they said the matchmaking is complex they're probably doing this because i have all these maxed guys and they don't want to pair me into someone who is not leveled right like they don't want that person to get absolutely crushed well guess what i saw in that that beast comp i ran into the person only had their rexar beast buff up halfway and right. oh, then, that was in the video i think right where it was like plus two plus two yeah and they i think i don't know if it was the same person or someone else they ordered it wrong where they put rexar in the middle so it didn't give mm -hmm. the buff to all the beasts and it's like why are you matching me into someone like that when i you know i have a higher internal mmr and i have a full max collection you'd think those would not be the the people it pairs you into because they kind of want to protect those players who are still learning and who are still leveling up their characters that seems to be the intent but in reality, that wasn't what was happening. So I don't, I just don't, we don't understand what it is like. And I've noticed that before too, where, and I think you've probably seen this as well, where you will switch decks and you will queue into totally different people. Oh, yeah. If you stay yeah, on yeah. the same deck, you will queue into the same person. And I can't figure out <laughs> why. Like it, now that I have all the max characters, it's not a difference of some of my characters aren't leveled. So it's like matching me versus other not leveled. Like, no, it's just it's really uh it's really really strange so i just i don't i don't understand why it works the way it does i think that's something that probably just needs a bit of tweaking on the back end just make it so it's less strict on your internal mmr or even just do something like reset the internal mmr every month like it just doesn't it doesn't make sense to me that like like a great example of this is if you finish in the top 200 or whatever and you try and queue up at the start of the season even if you're at like zero zero and you know it's been like five days few days something like that um even if it's been that amount of time you will only queue into those top people um which obviously that's kind of like a, a new protection thing which is totally fine it works that way in standard and stuff too but it's not as heavy-handed as it is in mercenaries like it just feels different like it, it it's just strange it's just i think it's just something that they need to uh they need to kind Wiggle. of tweak and you know we'll go into that in a future episode about some other things they need to tweak with the the matchmaking system and being abused um but yeah uh that that you know i think segues into we'll do a little bit of metagame discussion and then we'll open it up to some questions and then we'll probably call it a wrap here um we right. have we have talked about the the meta a little bit um but i think you know the question on everybody's mind is you know how are we feeling about chiji with this new equipment and what are like some of the standout 
uh, builds that uh, that it has. Yes. No. Yeah. Definitely. And so if I, I'm, I probably like you will also be using Hearthstone Replay. Uh, has a really cool mercenaries tab to it that lets you look at um, win percentage, basically play percentage, number of games. Lets you filter by the MMR range. Doesn't let you filter by region. I don't believe it. So is this actually? I, I don't think so. I think it is I think global. It probably is just everybody. Um, but so th this is a pretty cool resource. It's. I think there there are some other variants of the resources in other places, but this is the one that I use for sure. We ran the sponsored tournament by them as well. So definitely love Hearthstone Replay. It's kind of the OG original great uh, deck tracker mm -hmm. without a deck tracker. Um, but yeah, when you look at these, uh, when you look at some of these decks, there are so many decks that have over a 60% win rate. That is really weird. Yeah. I don't think there's any, is there any other game where that happens? Why is Why are these numbers so high? It's it's interesting, you know. That's something I wondered about too. I do like the the meta Monday, Monday things, like every two weeks, where I just mm -hmm. like take a look at the stata. We take a look at you know the games played, see kind of percentages of what's making up. It's kind of a popularity thing, right? Like it doesn't tell you directly what's most powerful, but a lot of the times, what's being played the most is kind of the most powerful stuff. Um, but the interesting thing to me is, I think last meta Monday there were like. 18 different comps or something and throughout all those those uh comps the lowest win rate of them was like 51 percent, and the highest was like 60 65 i think i think 65 is where it capped out and wow. so it's just it's definitely different than we're used to seeing in stuff like traditional hearthstone where like it kind of averages out closer to 50 whereas in mercenaries i think we see a lot more of these you know 58 60 even 60 plus uh percent win comps like right now looking at the nature dragons build 64.3 percent uh win rate and that's over 1600 games like that's that's yeah, a that's, substantial that's sample crazy. size and it it's still that's really high um so i don't really I'm not too sure what the exact reason. You know what one thing that could be is this also could be technically biased a little bit by the problems with the matchmaking. We've all had this experience in Mercenaries PvP where, hey, I'm playing a deck and I beat my opponent. And, you know, they'll run it back and they'll try and beat you again maybe one or two more times. But after that, sometimes when you keep running into the same person... They're just like, screw this. I know I lose. I concede in the beginning. I'm just going to try and match into another player. Um, and maybe that is having a slight little impact on the win rates, because if you're already winning a lot with a comp, that gives you kind of extra percentage points if someone just gets tired against playing you, but still tries to queue a few times, because it's happened to... That's true. Most people I know who play Mercenaries, regardless of level, I've had that happen at some point, um, where it's just like, I just want to play someone else like <laughs> it, like that's that's it that's all just give me somebody else like you no, even I, that's talking about true. that right like on stream the other day like because you were matching into like the same two or three people and when i streamed today literally probably like almost the first hour was against the same person um yeah so that will definitely mess up the stats by a lot right i, I mean theoretically it should be happening the in the other direction that like you should be getting farmed by someone a million times in a row as well but if you're on top of it and you just kind of like stop 
you literally see that they're just going to be countering you so you stop playing or you like that feels bad right like yep. the solution to, to beating the ladder is just don't queue that feels tough but it should be happening in the other way to even it out there you can kind of counterplay it but I would almost also just interpret it as that these decks are hard to counter queue into, right? Like mm -hmm. that they're not either the counter for them isn't as widely adopted or understood yet, or has mercs that people don't have leveled up yet, right? Like you're almost incentivized right now to find a deck whose counter people don't have leveled up yet. And and then you can win. And that's in a way why we see like Valera and why these brand new mercs will like pop up, pop off, and then eventually get tapered against because people go, oh, that deck's very good. They have to wait, get beaten by a bunch of times, have people talk about it, then see what it is, then figure out what beats it, then level that up, and now new mercs are out already. So you are really incentivized to be a pioneer kind of in that sense in this format, but when you look at these win rates, there's so much Varden, there's so much Lokalar, there's so much Jaina, there's so much Valera. Um, mm -hmm. It does start to look a little... A lot of these decks kind of do look very similar. Yes. But this is... Definitely. old this is the last meta right this is the pre-chig meta that we're looking at right now yeah i don't think we really have enough stats at all for chig yeah so or um, if anything they're hurt by people playing chig with bad equipment for this definitely last yeah and not being able to max it even though it's a very small thing you know you never know if that adds to a few percentage points here or there and like i tried that like just like you said i tried chig i know wizard beast was having a bit more success with it than i was i I swear, whenever I put GG in a comp, I would lose. <laughs> like, and maybe that was because I didn't know how to play it. And this is another reason it'd be great to have like a casual queue to do some more testing, or even just a mm. uh, a mode where you can play both sides of a game. Like, you can be you can queue up two mercenaries teams you have and just play it out, like lab it out without having to have a friend in a private match to do that. Would be really really cool because then you could mm. test stuff. Like, their matchups I really want to test, and their comps I think could be good against some of the stuff in the meta. But it's almost like tournaments in base Hearthstone where you can't jam these like tournament or specific counter lists into ladder because you're not guaranteed or even likely to run into what you're trying. And you can't even learn at that point. Like it, you know, it's bad against, let's say, Valera Frost, but I want to learn if it's good against dragons or I want to learn if it's good against Frost Tyrion. But if I'm not seeing those decks, it just makes it really hard to even do any of that testing. And I think that leads to that little bit of stagnation where everyone gravitates towards the same characters because they know these characters work and they're proven. And this is also, I think, just a, a thing of, you know, we do still have a smaller community for mercenaries. There are only like a dozen of us-ish that are creating consistent content for it. So there are only so many things you can look up and get information for. Like, you know... They, we have some great creators in the the scene here, but there are only so many of us, and we only have so many ideas, right? Like that's why uh, I've really been liking uh, Finny's stream recently because Finny comes up with some of the most off the wall decks that I would never in a mil like that pirate deck. Pirates, right? It was them? That's sick. <laughs> yeah, I would. I would. If someone told me that one like King of the Hill and was viable on ladder, I would not have believed them until I saw it myself. I just I just would have looked at it, saw Edwin and Sane, and be like, no, like <laughs> this doesn't work. But mm -hmm. so I think that's one of those things where there are a lot of characters and combinations that aren't being tested and found out because they just have a bad matchup into Frost Valera. And Frost Valera is such a huge part of the meta that it's like you can run a comp that has a bad matchup against it, but your play experience is gonna be really miserable if that's all you're seeing that night, which happens sometimes. 
So it's it's a it's an interesting issue, and I think it'll get better as I mean as time like progresses and as we get more mercenaries in the pool, you'll have reasons to like vary these teams. Like Frost is just so stacked right now with the amount of support it's got that a, these tribes that have not gotten a ton of support can't they like even the good tribes haven't got that have support haven't gotten as much support as frost frost has just gotten so much that it feels like these other tribes just need some help to get up there and they're just not there right now dragons kind of is with the most recent patch but like even dragons if you don't have that equipment to swap on turn one the frost matchup can be a real big pain um so it's it's really interesting and i think it will expand and get better as we have a bigger roster and as we get more people playing pvp in the mode and all that stuff like we'll see people try new things because right now i think there's just a lot of people are just looking for something that works because like you said pick your pokemon right like most people aren't going to be trying to leveling up all the characters so they can play whatever they want they probably have you know a few characters that they like or that they've been using and they'll build a comp or two around those characters and they'll stick with them. And that's great unless you're in a situation where, well, that comp auto loses to Frost Valera, which is, you know, 50% or however much percent of the meta, or just Frost in general, like even some of the Frost comps without Valera. And then it's like, oh, that feels kind of bad. Like the the comp you were brewing with the Frost Tyrion one, that one I think is a great example of kind of the opposite. Like you have good game into pretty much everything except dragons. Yeah. And luckily, Which dragons now, probably really good. If we're not seeing much dragons right now. Exactly. Like, uh, at least here on NA, where we're not seeing as many of the dragon comps right now, like that comp is probably way, way better. And because there's only one real matchup that it struggles against. And that matchup, like we don't see like five different dragon decks. Like, I've tried a few different ones with different backlines and it can work. But I do think Nature Dragons is probably the best one in terms of if you're opening with dragons, that's the best backline and best total comp for dragons right now for like a controlly kind of style deck. And because of that, like it's not as bad for you because it's just the one matchup. There aren't like three or four different variations of dragons you have to worry about running into that all screw your day over. Um, so I think that's kind of it's kind of a unique problem with Frost right now where Frost has just gotten so much support that we just need some of these other tribes to uh, to balance it out a little bit more by having a bit more support for them. Because like, if we just got Lokalar or if we just got Belinda on their own, I don't think we yeah. would have... like I don't think it would be quite as crazy as it is, but the fact that we got both of them at the same time and they both support such an already powerful tribe I think pushed Frost a bit over the edge. And so we're just kind of waiting for a bit more viable stuff to shake that up. Because literally, out of those 18 comps that I covered uh, last Meta Monday, I think 10 or at least 10 of them were Frost comps. Yeah, that's and, and <laughs> I, I, I think part of it is honestly because we hit that magic number four. I think when this game is so clearly divided by like three and three, Frost is kind of the first one that has an overlap where its opener is one man deeper right that we haven't really had a deck i mean nature's kind of been the only semi similar thing but the fact i think a huge part of the reason why frost is so good is because it crossed that critical threshold of four where it can have an opener of three and like the technically again if you sort by arson replay right now like the best winningest the most winningest deck small sample size is a varden jaina belinda opener 
but with a local R still. And the fact that you can stack scaling, lose someone, and continue to be a full version of that deck is what's making it really, really strong right now, I think. We're also just not really talking enough about the Varden and Jaina potential nerfs. I think those, those guys are a little bit too pushed, and I'll take this time to plug my solution to it, which I think, unfortunately, I don't know if giving Murlocs or giving Fell support would push off Frost. We basically have to do to it what we did to Valera. We have to print somebody mm -hmm. who just at least disincentivizes you from playing Frost. There's yeah. no reason to not play Frost right now, more or less. What I want, which matches with a Burning Crusade expansion, as well as a Red Protector Legendary, is I want a Spellbreaker. I want a Spellbreaker Merc that silences people. You silence their equipment, or you silence their buffs, or you silence their nerfs. You can target your guys, you can target the bad guys. Take away Icebox Talisman, one-shot you. Take away Chilling Amulet from Varden, one-shot you. Turn off Reincarnation from Thrall, one-shot you. Right, like that, I think a Merc like that, a silence effect. Normally an evergreen mechanic in almost every single card game, every single MOBA, no matter what it is. Basically every game essentially has a take off your buffs or mm -hmm. take off my debuffs, a cleanse, something like that, right? But I want to see a more aggressive version. But it would be cool to see something like a support merc instead like that that does a kind of supportive cleanse. Some kind of resto shaman stuff. Now that also gets interesting. But I think a merc like that would be an amazing slide in. You can give it that kind of Dre and I vibe to it. Some Naru cleanse kind of angles. Um, so that that's what I'm really hoping for. I think that would simultaneously solve the frost problem, give us a good protector, reinvent. If you make it competitive enough with its speeds, it can kind of go into an aggro deck. If you make it more mid rangey or supporty, you can go into a control deck or mid range deck that can now all of a sudden not just get insta outscaled by frost having a, a time walk, having an ice block. Right? That's just so good, and it's so hard to ever convince yourself to target Jaina with anything. If you can't kill her in two turns and it just becomes a worse and worse problem. And if your deck can't do for green damage on turn one, you just can't ever beat Jaina. So I would like to see a solution that is not green that can target those decks. Also, making it red means that it gets targeted by the frost, like the double blue, right? So it's not even safe. It will take a ton of damage to kind of go into that. You can protect it. You can do what you want. So I don't know. That That's that's my uh, cross my fingers Christmas list uh, for this next drop. I like that idea a lot. Like, imagine you just have mercenary that spellbreaker mercenary who has an ability where it's like, hey, it's fast. Whatever character you hit with this, their item is oh, gone yeah, on, for two turns. Combat. Like, sure. just take away their item because most of the the stuff that is making these characters so powerful are their items. It's Lokalar's item that is making his abilities and synergy with Frost way overtuned. It's Jaina's item that is giving you that kind of, if I can't kill Jaina over two turns, why do I even hit her? And then she gets out of control. A lot of mercs, I mean, there's some exceptions, like the Battlecry ones, like Belinda and Mukla wouldn't really impact, but that's okay. It doesn't need to be good versus everything. I think something like that, where it's just like, it basically the same kind of thing as Galvangar, but instead of a, a slower ability that punishes their, you know, using of a skill... We have a faster one that just shuts off the item for two turns, like yeah, cool uh, like shutting off the healing with Galvangard. Just like, boom, mm -hmm. two turns, your item is silenced, you can't do anything. Um, it's a limited effect or whatever, so that way like they can get it back if they find a way to survive or something, give some counterplay. But like, and it couldn't be like an AoE thing, it'd just be way too strong. 
it would definitely need I don't to be know, like, would it? I think if, it would if be. If, if there was an AOE that had a cooldown that sh- all it did was shut off your opponent's equipment for that turn. For one turn, maybe. It's like, no, yeah, not not for multiple turns. But like, if, if you just do like a big like AOE pulse, I mean, then, then you could almost put that flavorfully into, I saw somebody in the chat earlier say like a mecha torque type mm-hmm. of like a goblin engineer type of mechanic. Now you can put that flavor into like the EMP silence angle. And even, I mean, Burning Crusade also had some some mech stuff we saw some that was another guy we were maybe like a fell reaver type of mechanic we really don't have any mechs at all right no me- that that will no. certainly be a tribe coming they down the line so yet. plenty of room to to introduce something that i think we basically have to get a local r for Jaina, and i think the best way to do that is through a silence time will tell yeah and that would impact like a lot of stuff like it wouldn't just be yeah, Jaina. Be so cool just be local r like that would really provide some really interesting stuff so that's that's something I'd like to see. You you do have to be very careful with designing something like that because as we remember when they initially rotated uh Spellbreaker out of the like regular classic set, it was because you know they were afraid silence was too ubiquitous and you could literally jam it in any deck and it would always shut down. It didn't matter how cool or dynamic or powerful the card was. Shut it down. Four mana or Iron Beak Owl before it got the nerf. Two mana. Yeah, two mana Iron Beak Owl. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So it's like you do have to be careful with that because you don't want that to become the new oppressive thing because I think it would make the game more boring if it was too good because then it's like you just don't get to use items at all. And I think items are what make characters a little bit more dynamic and interesting. Like when they are when they have multiple items you can choose from, like Long Jin, like... Uh, mm. It's just, it's definitely an interesting thing to bring up, and I would like to see an effect like that, but I do think they have to be careful with how much they, they push it, because yeah. if they, you push it too much, then it could end up just feeling very problematic and make games feel a little bit too samey, I think. Um, but, you know, we'll keep our fingers crossed yeah, and that see, we can see, uh, see something like that in the future. Um, figured we would just, you know, briefly before we get into our you know last little uh questions here for chat and our end question uh what is our favorite comp to play right now and uh on the other side of it what is our favorite least favorite thing to play against to to wrap up our meta talk here Hmm. um weirdly I would. I've been trying to play some of the new stuff, right? I've. I have this list of like yesterday. We probably compiled six different GG decks, and they were fine. They tar- They kind of resembled a little bit too many. Like I think we just need a, a couple more days, a couple more weeks with GG to kind of figure it out. Um, I probably had the most fun with in terms of GG things with the like GG get in shenanigans. I think that like reinvigorating fire and that funky angle is cool. Um, but again, it was playing with Valera, right? And so Valera was really just going ballistic and making that the case. I was surprised by how much fun I was having playing Valera. It was actually a lot harder than I thought. And I do like those kind of hard games. But honestly, I'm going to say that my favorite deck to play has been my the the deck that I was playing on rank to when the season restarted of the, I don't even know what to call it, but it's just like this Mullahu mid-range frost thing. It's basically frost. It's, it's like Varden, new Frost Tyrion, right? Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, it's basically Frost Tyrion without Jaina. So it's just like Localar, Varden, Tyrion, and you just play like, it's a control deck, mid-rangey control deck, and then it's got Karen Diablo, uh, Sky Captain Rogers, Sky Admiral Rogers on the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, almost without fail, all of those games are 
way more fun than I expect them to be. For just like this Bumby mid-range deck that has nothing necessarily broken about it. It's got a couple policemen up front there with the local R. So like we are squeezing particular bad guys in the format, but very regularly I'm surprised by how fun that deck is. So I'm actually going to say that one. Um, and then least favorite deck would be Dragons because I can't ever beat it. Um, only, But only for that deck. Otherwise... Grom, Grom Valera stuff is definitely annoying, um, but GVT kind of got solved by the other deck there. So I, I would probably honestly say Dragons. Dragons feels like there's so many mind games that no matter what, they're at an advantage. Like they feel like whatever they want to do, they get to do it. And I just have to hope that I guess right. If I guess wrong, I am just dead. So it's not because I think that it's too good or broken or needs nerfing or anything. I just think it's a very strong deck and I'm playing a mid-range deck, the control deck that goes over the top of me beats my face in. That's how it should work. That's how the archetype matchups should kind of go. So um, I'm not salty about it, but I would say that's probably my least favorite one because I can't beat it. Okay, cool. Yeah, so for me, um, the one I probably had the most fun with might have been that weird Sneeds comp, but <laughs> it just, you do need to be running into like specific things for that to work. Mm. Um, it doesn't work versus everything. Like it does not appreciate double red openers. It does not appreciate that at all because you have two greens and Sneeds True. is a lot worse once Galvangar dies because you lose the attack and stuff. So I really love that deck, but I do think I have to give it to the dragons for now, funnily enough. Uh, <laughs> Dragon Nature just... I had I, I played that earlier uh, for anyone who was here earlier during the, the gameplay part of the stream. Um, it was so much fun playing that today. Like, it was really my first time using that equipment that lets you swap on turn one with Long Jin, and the difference that made was just out of this world. Like, it totally nice. changed the game. And mm -hmm. that's kind of one of the reasons why he's, like, my favorite Merc right now, because it totally just changes everything depending on what you're running with him. And it felt so much better with that equipment and having the mind games available on turn one. And then a lot of people don't always check the items, so they're not expecting yeah. that. They think it's on that's cooldown. <laughs> so it's yeah. like... Uh, you always check your long gen item, people. You, you know, always check it because that is an easy way to get rolled by the mind games before you're even aware that they can happen. Um, so Dragon Nature, probably my favorite deck right now. I just love the controlly aspect. God help you if you get into a mirror. It is like, oh my God, my brain hurts when <laughs> I, I haven't had many That's of cool. them. But That's it's cool. It's like literally like a, a control deck versus control deck in Magic, where it's like you're you're trying to very carefully time your counter spells, and you have to know when to use certain abilities. When the the thing with dragons is like, uh, if you're facing someone who's not experienced with dragons, you can kill Sinestra on turn one because you can use Yulong because she can only attack on turn one. So if you swing with your Sinestra. Sinestra's taking 80, and then it's a little bit less because the Yulon uh, damage resist, but even with the max Sinestra and that damage resist, as long as you throw the uh, the Longjin ability on her too, it dies, turn one. And literally, like, that's the game. <laughs> like, if, if someone makes that mistake in the Dragon Mirror, they pretty much lose on the spot. And people, uh, people were making that mistake in the beginning, but as dragons became a little bit more popular and people understood the matchup, you if you see a dragon mirror, neither of those Sinestras are swinging on turn one. 
Um, and then it's kind of funny because it leads to mind games because then you know they're not swinging on turn one, so you don't want to oh, waste the damage on Sinestra, so you target something else, so then they kind of can get away with swinging on turn one, and it's a whole mess. Um, but it's fun, and the the big thing is whoever kills one of those dragons first has such a huge advantage. That's kind of like you just have to pick one to focus down, and if you can get it before they can get it, sometimes it'll happen on the same turn where you'll both lose a dragon, and it'll be like a different dragon you each lose. And it's just such a, like, it's exhausting, but really entertaining uh, to kind of like figure it out. And I'm looking forward to trying more of it. Cause like, those are some of the longest games I've had in mercenaries where literally no character died in the first four or five turns. Like, <laughs> like that's just so no, no other comps are like that. Like every other comp you're killing something or getting something killed on turn two or turn three. Like, literally, turn 5 or turn 6, nothing's dead yet. And all this scaling and healing, so I, I love that comp. And I I love control decks, so that, that really feels like a, a fun, kind of viable control strategy. I really like it. Um, at least favorite when the man mirrors... Like, yeah. Sorry. No, go the, ahead. Like the, 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 the old man mirrors were kind of the closest thing to this, but they didn't really feel fun. Like, they were a control mirror, but... And you would just have like Mukla and Malfurion just like smacking against each other, but then it would just end up in this like stupid Anduin tie 30, 30 turns later. Like it really didn't feel like you were getting as much value out of it. A lot of times, like the better player could find an avenue to win. Like I just played so much ma'am, and you really didn't see it anywhere. Like I'm kind of still surprised by how few people play like the control decks in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, because they they're really fun. They're way more fun than you think they should be um because just each game is a puzzle and i just really like that part about the games and so but the the old control mirror wasn't really fun in the same way but now it's cool that the dragon mirror doesn't just feel like this inevitable like nonsense like you can learn it and you just have to go into the tank where in the other control decks it wasn't really the same so i even like that progression of the control mirrors yeah no it's really cool and it it's one of those things you really just have to like play with it to get that experience and I think the reason people haven't uh, gone towards more of the control decks is because until you find like the right build, it can be really punishing. Like, yeah. I mean, that's the case with control in any game in any format, right? You have to understand your threats to be able to answer them. And uh, Mercs, I think, has had a start, like the start of Mercenaries was very aggressive with things like, you know, uh, Shadow Samuro. Um, Mam was kind of like the one premier control deck, but outside of Mam, there really wasn't like many other controly strategies that were working because the burst damage is just so high especially when you factor in crits and stuff like that so i think that's kind of the reason we haven't seen people adopt it as much because aggro strategies are just they're also more straightforward and i think they're kind of more comps are pushed in that direction than controly ones but i think that's fine as long as there are some controly options like you don't it's like it's like too many exactly it's like you know if if there were like three different control decks and standard or something, uh, you know, people would hate it. <laughs> people would absolutely <laughs> hate it, no matter how much they like control decks, like because it, it would just be a little too grueling and whatnot. But when you have like one or two or something that are, are viable, but you're not seeing them every single game, it adds like a, a healthy component to the meta. Um, least favorite deck, it's Frost Valera. Like I said, it's like. Frost Valera gatekeeps so many good comps out of the yeah. game right now, and it feels like we're in a position where two of the top comps, in my opinion, are Frost Valera and Dragons. And the tricky thing is, I don't know if there's a great way to build a third deck that can beat both of those decks. 
Like it feels like if you find a way to beat Frost Valera, it just folds into dragons. If you find a way to beat dragons, it kind of folds into Frost Valera. So it does make things a little rock, paper, scissory. Um, so that's just the, the big thing though is uh, freezing on turn two with Varden is bullshit. <laughs> it's like, I don't think Varden is a poorly balanced character. I think Varden's actually a really interesting and really fun character. And we didn't see any of those kind of uh, these same problems with her or them in the beginning. Like uh, the the closest we had to the the speed snaps now was like Karen speeding up a, a snap with uh, endurance aura. But yeah. even that, like Karen was off the bench, so a mercenary had to have died. You were seeing it later on in the game. You could kind of pick off Varden before that happens. There was much more counterplay to it. Now you have an elemental enabling a freeze on turn one. And if it's sped up by Valera, that's even more gross because at five speed, it's kind of balanced at three speed, not so much. And that's kind of the issue I have with cold snap is that at six speed, cold snap is a balanced and interesting ability at two speed on turn two. It is not, it just turns a lot of games into, okay, can I focus this character down on turn one enough with my Valera and Belinda and Varden and then that way I can snap them on turn two at super fast speed. They don't get to play the game for the turn and it's just going to snowball out of control there. It gets even crazier when you have the builds that are using the Varden scaling equipment where you get payoff for doing that. Like I remember when I first like tried that build on Belinda release and it literally doesn't feel like you're playing the same game as your opponent. Yeah. Like I'm playing chess, they're playing checkers. Like it just does not feel fair. Like I, I went on like a 10 and one streak with it or something crazy. Like it just, it doesn't even feel like they're playing the same game as you. So though it's not like, like I, I wouldn't call it like oppressive because other strategies can and do exist. The, the fact that it demands a counter or some kind of counter strategy, or you just don't get a play a lot of the time is uh is not good and by far in terms of like community reaction by far that is the the most complained about thing i like compared to, yeah compared to like the complaints against karen diablo and even cookie oh, yeah. in the beginning it's not close like <laughs> the the feelings frost valera invokes are a special kind and they are not the greatest uh so hopefully we can see some more viable counters uh pop up in and you know the coming mercs drops because there are some you know we talked about corn we talked about rag and even grom as kind of a way to slow down or stop what these strategies are doing but that kind of limits things really hard when you have to pick one of those three mercs to have a chance against that comp because then it's like you're just playing five merc comps and always having to slot that in and hopefully that'll get better though with time um I think that that covers most of what we wanted to for the meta talk. Um, do you want to see if we can take maybe one or two more chat questions? Then we'll do our end question and get on out of here for the day. I think so. That sounds good. Chat, what do we got? What do we got? Yeah, let's, let's see him. Thoughts about, I mean, I've always, as always, if you guys have cool ideas for uh, some solutions to Jaina, right? We could talk about some of those kind of things. If you think there's another angle other than Spellbreaker kind of silence things. Because I, I, when we look back into history, and I think that's going to be something also that Mercs is going to be so good for. And I'm jealous of you mm -hmm. being able to be on the side of like, 
just being able to compile all of this history throughout this game yeah you can go and look back at like all right when was jaina mm-hmm. there what was beating her? why was jaina getting taken down what either came in to prevent that and like we were saying before it was a ton of Samuro. There was just a green guy that could do like 60, 80 damage to your blues on turn one. The problem is then Lokalar came out and came to counter the greens that can affect your double blues. And now Frost just locked it up. And so it will be cool to go back into history and look at like, okay, what did beat this? And then why did it change? Because those patterns should be able to keep coming up. Um, but that's true. We don't have Frost resistance yet. Not yet. But that, could, that could come out here. Definitely. I mean, see. good. Frost resistance would be so good against Varden and Lokalar and yeah. I mean, again, not really great against Jaina in that way, but cutting down her damage by a lot. That'd be kind of sweet. What would be a frost resist? Maybe some like, a, like a, a demon. demon. I could see a demon with frost resist, like with some fire skills too, or something. Like fire fell demon. Possibly. Yeah, like he's just I mean, I guess that's true. We kind of have the precedent in rag of like very hot can be mm-hmm. anti-frost, but very frost resist tends to be like at least in WoW, Frost Resist tends to be like, I'm so cold that I can't get colder. Oh, Not that could like, be cool. I'm so hot. So like, uh, like literally. Frost like with Frost Resist. It kind of, right? <laughs> it, just like a, it would be like a fighter. I just keep, I think the only the only one that keeps jumping to mind is something like one of the crazy like Freljord kind of people that have like, we're up, we're Vikings up in the mountains or whatever. We have a ton of like melee combat, DPS skills and like tracker kind of stuff there's some weird beast synergies in there but they can be any color but then they can have some frost resist equipment because they're so used to being cold so something like that would be sweet yeah lich king that would be cool yeah if lich king had a frost resist because you know he is the, the the frost king the lich king like that that would be sick like he has you know one frost ability but he's not like a frost synergy character i think mm. that would be a really cool idea uh, one question we have here, do you expect us to continue to get these like limited team building story quests and should we get content like that? So that's kind of referring to the event stuff. You know, personally, I was a fan of, I liked how it made me try out different things and it was fun trying to discover like, Hey, how do I beat this, this bounty with that is, you know, the boss is these big fighters where it's like, I can only use casters. Um, I think the only downside of that type of stuff is it can be a little bit more limiting if you don't have like a more expanded collection, but they did specify with, you know, that event that it was geared towards those players. So I think that's something they could kind of adapt a bit, uh, for, you know, future events to make it a little bit less required. So it's like, you don't need just this one comp to get through it. But as we've seen through like people with like old guardian, he has found some really awesome, like alternate budget viable strats for some of those. Mm -hmm. So it goes to show, even though, you know, there might be one best way to accomplish that there's not only one way to do that. Um, So personally, I like that kind of stuff and I would like to see more of it. Yeah. There were a ton of things that I loved about the GG event. I definitely think there are things to make it more new player friendly, but I thought it just set such a good stage for like an incentive to go back and do things. I also just think like, just throw coins at us, pick one Merc and just throw coins at us, make us work for it, but spew them. Mm-hmm. It's it's a good way to somehow kind of circumvent the extra coins problem temporarily. Um, and it again, just lets you go and like have a reason to play. Like literally, I think so many people came back to this, not because they care about GG, but because there was a PVE system that let them think i i had to think those, those were a cool concept i think the best way to do it and then transition it into a really interesting future obviously it requires a lot more integration but like 
give us the Chi-Gi event, but either force us, like give us access to certain mercs to be able to do it. Or like, here's your finite roster. Here's 12 mercs, pick six of them, they're going to be leveled up and you're going to go do a fight, right? Like I think the, I think one of the great directions for Mercenaries Future is either giving us intentional access to fully leveled up mercs temporarily or in whatever form that is, or forcefully restricting our mercenaries in order to do a challenge that then gives mm -hmm. you something, right? Like there's no reason why they can't be taking and taking these on and off of the board for us, either to make it harder or easier for accessibility or for intrigue. So I would love to see something like that. I think the GG thing should be every single time that we get new mercenaries, honestly. It doesn't seem impossible to do by just going back and saying like, kill Mad Bomber with a dragon. Go kill, like go back and hunt down these bounties, right? Like even it can be relatively minimal, but I would love to see a GG event every single time. Yeah, I think that would be a great way to incentivize people to, you know, do more interesting PvE kind of stuff. Because, you know, mm -hmm. that's one good thing we've all kind of, yeah, good for content creation too. Um, but that's one thing I felt has really been missed, right? You know, I, I did a video this past week on why do people farm Heroic 1-1, right? Mm. Like, you know, that that's paraded as like the best strat. Once you have all your tasks, task 18 done for a character, you can't get any more. And that's the best way to get your coins initially. Well, you're still 800, 900, however many coins short of fully maxing. And unfortunately, under the current system, it's too RNG to do some of these late game bounties just to get rewards that you don't need. Um, so like you mentioned before, with like showering people with one specific coin or something would be a really great way to help that kind of thing. And I think the events could also kind of act as that. It's like, give us these events where it's like, hey, you don't have to do any of this stuff. It's not required. Mm -hmm. You don't even have to lock a Merc behind it like Chi-Gi. But for the people who want to do that stuff, give them coins for these new mercenaries. Because right now the only consistent way of getting these new coins for a lot of people is just doing the awful, boring 1-1 grinding because they want to get guaranteed coins for these new characters, especially, and this problem is only going to impact more and more players as time goes on and you get more characters maxed and progressed and stuff, is, like, I, I feel like I dread opening packs at this point rather than find it to be an enjoyable or fun experience, which is that is not what you want in any game. You do not want the thing where when your players are paying money, they're having a negative experience. Like it should be the opposite. You want to give them a good experience so that they're incentivized to do it more, or do it again. And that is not how I feel about packs. Um, so I think it would go a long way to if we did have like a little event like this uh, every time just give coins for the new mercenaries like or even if they just wanted to do a simple change without even adding something like an event get rid of the random coins from tasks give them all for the mercenary like that alone would go such a oh, far way yeah. for making the experience feel better about just going through your tasks and getting characters leveled up because so many times those extra coins are for useless stuff. And that's not even only true for people who have mostly maxed collections. Like that happens to just regular players who only have a handful of max. Like it's still a super big feels bad when you just get, you know, 75 random coins for two guys. And one of them's for a guy you already have maxed. And it's just like, well, I wish those were literally anything else. <laughs> um, so, and that only gets worse the more invested the players are so it feels like extra punishing and it shouldn't right like you don't want to 
feel like you're punishing your more invested players more <laughs> that that just seems like a good way to scare people off and it's like why would i even become a invested or dedicated player if it's just gonna make my experience harder and worse so yeah. there are a lot of those issues in mercenaries so that that's kind of the one of the big things i'm hoping they can work on changing and fixing over time um let's see who we can find like one more here um we talked about this before but i guess just like super briefly uh you know, do we think they need to do something about like these the the frost Valera of Arden start? Uh, maybe make Varden's second ability a two turn cooldown instead of one. I would support that change. I think the bigger issue is Valera, and I think Cold Snap. Like we have a history with Cold Snap where you know it's it's been a great ability, but it has been nowhere near as oppressive and as unfun as it has been since you know the addition of the. Valera Belinda Varden comp. Um, so I wouldn't really mind a change to making Cold Snap 2 just because of how insanely powerful it is. Like being able to lock out not just one thing, but all your opponent's things. Um, however, if you nerf Valera, which I think is the, the smarter thing to do for overall game health, I think Varden can stay as they are and it's not too big of a deal. Yeah, and again, same thing. Theoretically, we should hopefully get something in the near future. Like, I would be very surprised if we don't get, especially considering how on point they were with giving us local R, with giving us some things that do target some other stuff, right? Like dragons go over the top with some of the other mid-rangey stuff. There's a little bit too much aggro, so we gave some more blocking and some taunts and some incidental kind of life gain. Um, I would I would be very surprised if we get a new Merc. If we don't get a Merc that can target Frost in some way, we basically had Valera, it was too much. Frost has been a very known commodity for a long time, the longest time, I would say, because technically Frost's dominance kind of extends before Valera a little bit, all the way through Valera, and then after Valera at this point. So we know that it's there. Um, I'm hoping that we get some kind of card that tackles it, but I would still agree with you that I don't think we necessarily need to tweak Varden too much. It is just that Valera is too fast. Yeah, pushing it over the edge. Um, so yeah, great questions. Thanks, thanks for everyone who's been hanging out with us live. Uh, maybe this is something we do again. You know, I I definitely liked you know the the having some interaction with chat, seeing what people had to say about different things. It's been really cool. Uh, we are going to wrap it up here, though. We do have an end question. So for this one, um, I think this is kind of a fun one. So let's say. You have the power to make one major change to mercenaries. What would it be and why? And let us not count the excess coins fix because we know that's something that's coming. So out of our minds, you know, let's say the excess coin fix is already here or or whatever. Okay. Like if we're not thinking yeah, about let's that. Do it, yeah, let's do it that way. Let's let's say the excess coins fix is here. Mm -hmm. What what then would you change? Because I think we all kind of agree with that one. Yeah. Okay. okay. So for me, the biggest thing is uh the the matchmaking and ladder slash leaderboard stuff um the I, we're going to talk about this in a later episode uh, one of the guest episodes for sure uh but the thing for me that is the most frustrating with mercenaries right now is so i just finished maxing all my mercs out and stuff so i'm like all right i now whenever i boot up mercenaries i am playing pve i did my time in one one <laughs> yes thank you uh, in PvP, I did my time in 1-1, I'm all set, I have no reason to do the PvE content right now, 
and I and all my YouTube stuff is pretty much solely focused around PvP. That's what I want to be doing when I'm playing the game. It's what I have the most fun with. Right now, the thing that is detracting most from my enjoyment of PvP is not the meta. It's it's not any of the in-game systems involving playing the game. It's the fact that I am spending three to five minutes almost every time between matches. Sometimes if you get a direct rematch, it'll go right away. But other than that, <laughs> so like you get counter queued faster. Yeah, exactly. But literally the queue times are just like they're so bad. And the weird thing is, is it kind of feeds into the uh, ha dead game. Right. But it's not like literally I, I was watching your stream and you're queuing into people yeah, I do not I see at all. <laughs> and you're queuing so much faster. And it's like it, it doesn't make sense. Like they need to just somehow, some way they need to make this set internal MMR stuff less strict on who it can match you with because I can't imagine it is working as intended in its current form like again the mantra of mercenaries good intention with ha limiting the matchmaking terrible execution like like it, it should not be that when I'm queuing up games for every three games I play I have a game's worth of time sitting in a queue that is absurd like the yeah. And this is an issue we do see in other formats. It's something you do see in high-level wild. It's something you see in classic. Uh, it is a problem that is bigger in modes with smaller population, but literally just the matchmaking is so strict with mercenaries. Like, you and I could not run into each other. Uh, and I can't figure out, even with people who I have, like, the same level of collection with, that happens. And it's like, it's not like we're at super different ranks or anything. And it only gets worse. Um, the the thing about it is, like, I know some of the top players in the game, like like Sensor or Frankie, sometimes I've seen them have near 10-minute queues. That's insane. And, like, that's not just, like, one random 10-minute queue. That is multiple times. That is crazy. Like, literally. And then, what if you get into a game and the person loses a mercenary and concedes on turn one? And yeah. so you spent two minutes in the game and now you have another 10 minutes, five minutes to wait. It's just that frustrates me more than anything else. And uh, it makes producing content for the mode a lot harder than it really should be. So it's like, I want to play the game, make it easier for me to play the game. So that'd be my yeah, thing. Yeah. That's definitely the G. I mean, I almost wish that I could have, I, I just, for some weird reason, right? It feels like I'm in some little pocket meta that allows me to just queue into people more. I don't know why. I wonder if there's some weird correlation between like how much you play PVE versus PVP. Like I haven't Maybe. played as much. Who PvP knows? Is that somehow tying in there? But we we know that there are these insane matchmaking conditions. Insane theoretically in a good way, right? Like you said, good intentions. Like they said, this is mm -hmm. the most the most wild, complicated kind of matchmaking system we've ever had. We should probably expect it to end up being broken or scuffed at different points, especially when they've already changed like a bunch of stuff about it. Mm -hmm. They've changed the ceiling rating. Uh, like you can go beyond 14,000 now. The bots used to be there at a certain range. Now they're not in certain ranges. I could have sworn that there were ranked floors at some point, but there aren't really in any reasonables. Like after 7K, 6K, there are definitely no ranked floors at all anymore. Mm -hmm. And playing for even just a season and the fact that it is just kind of plus 70 minus 35 for your gains does winning games is good all these decks you can go on hearthstone replay copy any of the 65 percent win rate decks you can climb like if you learn the deck you play it you don't mess up commit to it like you will climb so it is i am hoping that it just gets solved with player population that your issue will go away um but unclear 
but that yeah. definitely is that just makes people not want to play right we've definitely mm -hmm. seen this odd exodus of the top players like that sucks how are we losing these people that are the the drivers of the meta in many cases that we can't be hemorrhaging from the top and the bottom of yeah exactly it, it, that's tough. That's tough. and it's just like it's it's crazy because it just feels like uh it it feels like it's punishing you for doing better like like literally i feel disincentivized to try and play a hundred percent the best i can trying to learn every game master a comp because i know my reward for that will be longer queue times <laughs> and that's that's insane right, okay. like incentivized to meme yeah exactly and you know even one of the times like a few streams ago was just doing meme decks lost for the better part of two hours but I was still having fun with it yeah, right? <laughs> because the cues weren't that bad that day. Like the cues just really make or break this experience for a lot of players. So I think finding any way to, uh, to impact that in a positive way would really go a long way. Cause like it sucks. Cause a lot of these top players who have stopped, it's not cause they aren't enjoying the game or enjoying PVP. It's not like one specific character made them say, Oh, screw this. I quit. I know. You know, a few people with Valera, but I think that was more down to the speed ties and whatnot. Um, but most of the time I've seen when people, top people stop, it's because they literally like can't play the game as much as they would like to because of these weird and awful queue times. So that's that's the top of my uh, one mercenaries major change fix. Uh, what would you do, Mo? What What's on the top of your list? Um, I think I, despite not even being a PVE player, I want the PVE to be fun. I I think you can, there are so many ways to fix PVE, whether you give us, so I guess my answer is one of these two things. You either give us discoverable rewards, so it's not random. Mm -hmm. You can go through a thing, you can go click on a bounty, run it to the end, and then get a reward that you know about. Discover mysterious strangers at the end or something. Discover what coins you get from people in your party. Give us a choice so that when I queue up Heroic Bane Hollow, I don't go through it and get literally nothing. There there should never it should either I should either get nothing and it was fun or get something and have it be grindy. It's at the moment basically neither of those things. So it's a lot easier to just make sure that you can get like easy rewards. It's way harder to make a PvE system that's kind of engaging and interesting and complicated and deep. Um, that's obviously the the pie in the sky, like the eventual goal. Obviously, we will get that, right? I have no doubt that we will have a PvE system that is really cool, really fun, and makes you want to play it. At the moment, the only reason to play PvE is because you want to catch them all or you want to play PvP. The track should involve more fun along the way in some way. There's a million ways to do it. That that would be my pick. And I'm a PvP player, right? So Yeah, it's it's like we, we talked about like those two modes don't have to be opposed. Like their right. their interests can be aligned rather than having to choose. And I think that would foster, you know, just a, a whole a lot better of an environment for the community because it doesn't devolve into I like PvP, I don't care about PvE, I want them to focus on my stuff, and then the inverse for PvP players. Like, right. you can have it both ways. There's no there's no reason to me that we need to choose, and I think they are, I think the designs, the design changes we've seen are indicative of that, like, they kind of see that too. Um, mm -hmm. I think just the, the PvE stuff is taking a lot more work, because 
even though we burn through the content really fast, I'm sure it takes a lot longer to make that content. Definitely. Um, yeah. So it's kind Especially of a something as thing. big as what we want. Like we're, yeah. we're essentially asking for like, give us, there needs to be a whole other button inside our camp that lets us go do something different and crazy and funky that does not involve other humans. Right. So mm -hmm. it's not just fix the bounties. It's not give the bounty guys more abilities. Right. It is like we need a fundamental systems addition Mm -hmm. that will solve the PvE because then yeah like you're saying now you'll have people again in just like pulling the inevitable ties i know we almost said that like hearthstone and wow are almost getting more divergent but kind of simultaneously convergent at the same time it's yeah. kind of weird but but wow is obviously a precedent in many ways for this and especially when it's like pvp and pve tied together you can do both in wow if anything when you get your sick pvp gear that actually allows you to go do higher end PVE content, or mm -hmm. you get really geared in PVE that actually lets you go throw down in PVP. At the moment, there really isn't that crossbreeding like you were mm -hmm. talking about. And players would have a reason to go back and forth, even if they main one mode, especially if you have limited time PVP events, limited time PVE events that the grinders in PVP go, oh, I have max collection. I'll go do this PVE event because I'm geared for it, right? The only, the players that care about PVP care about being geared. And the players that care about PvE care about just, like, discovering more things or progressing down something. If you can give both players both of those, and you should be able to just by having a fully fleshed out PvE system, I think everything will really just... The, the loops will start flowing, and it'll be really good. Yeah, it just gives you that kind of positive feedback gameplay loop. Right? Right. It's like you, the WoW comparison, I think, is fantastic. It's like... Whether you choose to do PvE or whether you choose to do PvP, it is rewarding for the other side, the other aspect, and it that kind of incentivizes you to do that, even if that's not your main mode or main choice. Main choice. So I think that would be a huge boon. Definitely agree with you on that. Um, but I think that is going to wrap it up for us for this time. Before we get out of here, do you want to let our viewers know where they can find us if they don't know already for some reason? Uh, so where can we find you, Mulhu? I will be on Twitter at uh, Mulhu TTV. I actually didn't even realize that someone has yoinked at Mulhu from me. I don't know who <laughs> they are. There aren't many of us. There are very few Mulhus in this world. So I have some long lost relative, I guess. Yeah, we'll find um, out at the family reunion. <laughs> yeah, we don't. There are no Mulhu family reunions anymore. I don't think. Um, but. Um, so uh, Twitter, Malahu TTV, um, Twitch at Malahu, twitch.tv slash Malahu, and then at esports.com, writing mercenaries articles and stuff like that. Been very exciting. That's really, I would definitely urge you guys to go take a peek at those, all the like leveling guides, caster leveling guides. Anytime new mercenaries come out, I have a blast writing guides for those. So again, esports.gg. You can find them filtered by Hearthstone. Find me on there. So that's the place to go. I love writing stuff. Check them out. Awesome. And as always, the links will be in the description for all that stuff. So you don't have to worry about spelling it out into the, the web browser bar and stuff. It'll all be in the description. Um, as always, this podcast will be going up on YouTube and our traditional podcasting platforms, uh, Apple, Spotify, RSS feed, the works. Uh, so we do want to thank everyone for tuning in. Shout out to all the people who uh, caught this live. You know, this is probably something we'll try and do again in the future. It was a cool way to kind of spice things up, especially in yeah. a week where we are down uh, a co-host, you know, and a guest, right? right? Like everyone's sick this week. So um, I, I thought it was going to be a shorter show, but this actually ended up going for like three hours, but it's great. You know, I Dig think it. we had a lot of 
really fun discussion and covered a lot of really cool topics. But as always, you can find me over on YouTube, youtube.com slash zombies go nom nom. Uh, my Twitch is the same. However, zombies has a Z at the end of it on Twitch. Uh, you got to beat them up at the family reunion too. Yeah, I'm I'm waiting for the, the, the Twitch account to become inactive <laughs> so I can steal the name. Um, but for the time being, zombies with the Z at the end, go nom nom over on Twitch. Going to be doing more regular streams all throughout March. So looking forward to that. And you can find me on Twitter as well. Zombies go nom nom with an S. So <laughs> the, the Twitch is the odd one out. But we do want to thank everyone for watching, listening, all that good stuff. Really appreciate it. If you enjoyed it, a like or a follow goes a super long way towards uh, supporting the show. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for watching. We'll catch you guys next time on The Fighting Pit. Adios, everybody. Thanks for hanging out. Take it easy.